Hey everyone, welcome to a special edition of the Dialogue Choices Podcast. Everybody's here. Too many people are here, frankly. Colonel's here. I am, unfortunately. Ladybird's here. Hey. Diet Bird's here. What? <laughs> Toaster's here. <laughs> Hi. And we all went to PAX uh, a long Lies. time ago at this point. Most of us went I to PAX. Go. All of us tried to go to PAX. <laughs> we all, we all rolled, was supposed to go to PAX. We all rolled a skill check on going to PAX, and somebody somebody rolled a nat uh, strike. and <laughs> They rolled a nat Portugal. <laughs> and uh, we're the taking this long... Is- the good news is the uh, the strike actually achieved its goal and uh, they got the raise that they were l- looking for. So you go, Lufthansa crew, cabin thing, people. Woohoo, Labor. Hey. Happy endings. Hey. Some people. What? <laughs> Some this people, is yeah. this is great for labor workers, but the only thing it has achieved has radicalized us all against labor unions because Colonel oh, yeah. couldn't go to PAX. We're that all red pilled as hell now. Yep. <laughs> Lobsters are the ultimate humans. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we went to PAX like what four weeks ago at this point? Yeah, we're just now talking about it because this is when we could get everyone three or together. Four. Yeah, it was tough. And Andrew uh, didn't sleep, so he's not here. Yeah. He also that's didn't the go parent, to PAX. That's the setup. Wait, do you want to do you want to explain right. why you couldn't go to PAX, Colonel? Like the the from the start, I mean. Well, it's pretty straightforward, actually. <laughs> it's pretty straightforward. I uh, I had my plane flying out on the Friday morning, or the Friday morning of the uh, of the first day of PAX. But I was supposed to arrive at midday uh, of the first day of PAX, uh, and a day before I was supposed to leave, I get an email from Lufthansa saying that all their flights are canceled because there was a the the, the negotiations between the cabin crew. Uh, union and their uh, corporate whatever people um, broke down and they they just announced like a, a walkout day on that Friday that I was flying out and so yeah my my bags were done like I was I was all ready to to go and uh, I couldn't I, I I tried to get a new flight but they were all like five thousand more yeah. on the for the wow. back at back there and back again price so yeah couldn't do it. I wonder, so, how, I wonder how much there was like a, if that like noticeably led to a difference in data of like number of Portuguese attendants to PAX just in general or like how widespread that was. Probably well, well, negatively. <laughs> yeah, it didn't affect just Portugal though, didn't it? It was all no, of the towns though. Yeah, yeah, all of towns. More than a thousand flights were canceled on that day because yeah, uh, like basically, yeah, two huge airports. They're. Uh, they're very big part of those airports in in Germany, and yeah, all of them were. Somebody wanted a shorter line for Splatoon. <laughs> <laughs> it was, all it was unlucky game. as well, because I like originally I was planning on flying on Thursday instead of Friday, uh, just you know because that way I would have all of Friday and just not have jet lag and all that. But uh, like just work stuff, I couldn't book as many vacations for vacation days, and mm-hmm. yeah, just. Yeah, just how it turned out. Well, we're all sad that you couldn't make it. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, guest bed that I was prepared to have for you um, went unused, and Keith got to just pick the, the the better guest bed, and there was no there was no fight over that, at least. Mm-hmm. 
So pick. There was no choice. I didn't know there was another bed. There was another bed. Well, you had the better one anyway. Yeah, Yeah. I went through the whole trip just curious. I'm like, where was where was Colonel going to sleep? I don't actually. I can't tell. You didn't even go up to the third floor of my house, so well because it felt intrusive. I didn't even open it. I didn't even open any of the doors on the the floor that I was on. (laughs) Like, well, there were there were there was one that you didn't. You opened every single other one. Well, I opened the, uh, well, oh yeah, I meant, up, I meant upstairs, the, the, the house floor. Oh yeah. I, I no, only, you, I didn't open any of it. I didn't go anywhere. <laughs> I just did what already felt really intrusive, which is I cooked breakfast every morning, just alone in your kitchen. And I'm like, is this okay? <laughs> Am I doing okay? That's and not intrusive. Yeah, no, you're totally. And I used 100% your of your eggs and strawberry jam. Just all of it. It's gone. Nice. And you can never yeah. replace that because that was the last eggs ever. That's how that works. The strawberry jam, there's more, but not eggs. <laughs> no, I would be upstairs on the third floor. I'd hear you down in the kitchen, and I'd be like, eh, he's probably fine. Yes, and then I would just fine. like do YouTube things or whatever. And he would come and down uh, to just eggs, just eggs where they're not supposed to be inside of oh, your yeah, stove. No. And- <laughs> Coming down and, and hearing, like, like, bird... I got eggs in places that they shouldn't be in. That's not what happened because I tried to hide it. I know. I, I tried to quietly up. solve the problem without you noticing, but because I've never had a burner stove ever, uh, a, burn, a burning stovetop. I've always had like induction stoves and other stuff like that. He has he has like a burning like grill thing of a gas. Yeah, uh, and like yeah. this is very so, unwoke yeah. of you, bird. Very unwoke. Yeah, was what happened. I'm using the spatula. <laughs> I used the spatula to like move the fucking eggs around and like try and try to like, you know, just cook the yes, eggs. Yes, good. Uh, good start. Normal verb. Normal verb choice. Uh, you spatula well. S- some of it escaped over the edge of the pan abruptly, and I'm like, oh fuck. Somehow I'm getting worse at cooking every day, because uh, that was the last day. And you were so using like- the smallest one. There are like six frying pans, and you use the baby one that like I don't know how you cooked four scrambled eggs in like a petri dish. It was only (laughs) eggs. I only did like two eggs, I think, each day. Uh, Oh, and then toast with with jam. That was like the the setup. I had that few eggs. Two yes. eggs per day was enough for yeah, you to burn I, I ras- my entire I rationed, stock. I rationed your eggs. <laughs> I planned it out. Uh, Did you not have any at all that weekend? Uh, I don't think I had any scrambled eggs that weekend, no. Oh, okay. Yeah. But they, escaped, they escaped over the edge into the grill, and I'm like, this is a new problem I've never faced before. So I'm sitting mm-hmm. there with my fork and knife trying to, like claw machine the eggs back out through the grate not knowing you can pick up the grate which i think you also didn't know at the time and I so like know. in yeah, the cleaning process you i was know? like why don't you just pick it up to like and we had <laughs> we had our simultaneous realization of like wait that thing can move like i what? yeah like I, I instantly clocked that that's the smart thing to do but i figured it involved a screwdriver or something i thought you no, had to you screw just, it. You turn it off wait for I it to cool and lift it up i didn't know you could just you pick it up these things because I don't have this device. I'm, that's fair. That's fair. And I, I, rec- it. I, rec- I recognize Bird its impermanence. Any- I just expected a screw. No, there's no screw. Yeah, most of it off. Look. Yeah. <laughs> and then I, would have, in- I would have loved it to come downstairs and see you with a screwdriver attempting to unscrew <laughs> my stove. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's like, normal. Continue on. <laughs> 
It's cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm just fixing. I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just fixing your fridge. It's fine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just noticed was, your stove was a little loose. I'm just gonna do do do. It is a ride. How everyone's kitchen only makes sense to them. That's just a oh, fact yeah. of kitchens. And so, like yeah. when I yeah. on the first day, I'm like, okay, I have permission to just go cook something. This is fine. There's eggs in the fridge. This will be easy. And then I'm like, where is a utensil for you? Or cooking with a pan i they i know they must own them somewhere and i opened the, mm -hmm. the closest bro i opened the closest drawer and it's full of like bread making supplies and i'm like well <laughs> it's not that one and i finally give up and ask bird when he comes down and he goes into like the center island and reaches under the bottom shelf to pull out like a, a like a a cup thing full of all the stuff that i would be looking for and i'm like oh <laughs> Top of the guest well, list. Like, I would have gone straight to the center island bottom shelf. It's because we didn't have room for it in yeah. the normal place. So after that, I rearranged it and put it there. Yeah, it was one of those I'm things where I moved making... it in that space and then never moved it back because I was doing something else. Yeah. And then it was just like, ah, this is its new home. So yeah. then I put it back. But I'm also, making some funny. of them are just, it's just really the, tall. Just yeah. the kitchen and experience. And so they just wouldn't have fit yeah. in yeah. the other drawers. Like for us, also, for us, the stove's on the center it. island, and it's so covered yeah. in utensils for cooking that you can't ever set anything down, and it's really frustrating <laughs> for other reasons. Mm hmm. I think you also inherit your kitchen layout from like your parents. Oh, because like, I don't. You grow up with generational kitchen. kitchen trauma. Yeah, you grow up with a chicken with a chicken, a kitchen layout, and when you I'm go broken. to your new place, you like try to recreate it, and I... you. It just gets passed down. This is not true for me, though. I've broken out of my the kitchen trauma, my generational. <laughs> oh, yeah. You broke yeah, the cycle. That's like the, possibly the best thing about living by myself is not having to not having to be accountable to anybody else on my kitchen. And it's just like uh -huh. I do how things I the way I want things they are, and uh -huh. it's just like amazing. The, the, like, one of the like the best thing is having the dishes on their own like rack sideways mm -hmm. instead of one on top of the other because for some reason people just in my my parents house they just do not like uh, plates that are not on top of each other so they need to be on top of each other which is terrible i i feel and also the being able to have the kitchen utensils hanging on the wall i think i like mm -hmm. that as well keith would definitely know. My kitchen is is kind of organized in a way where I really hate uh, I really hate having to clean the kitchen. I hate mm -hmm. when especially when you're cooking on a gas stove and, and things get hot and you get like, you know, just accumulative like oil on stuff. I hate that mm -hmm. feeling um, yeah. and the way that that looks. So everything in my kitchen is pushed as far away from everything else as possible. And oh. it's just organized 100% so that I can like immediately clean things as soon as I'm done cooking because I do not like, yeah, like the clutter or uh, the grime wise. that comes from like cooking in a small space. We kind Oil of spatter. We locate everything as close as possible to like the stove, honestly. Like if you're in, there's like a little corner next to the stove. And if you're in that corner, you can find uh, pretty much anything that you're going to need. Except for apparently the spatula, which <laughs> it was nearby. It just got moved there. It was on a, it was, it was taking a, it was a foreign exchange student for a little while. 
<laughs> the host family of kitchen appliances. No. Yeah. The kitchen island. But yeah, so Keith uh, Keith slept in a guest bed that I assembled specifically for basically for him in the end, apparently. <laughs> and uh you got to sleep in the in the music room and Colonel got to sleep in his house very far away. And uh <laughs> Toaster Toaster didn't didn't uh didn't even come to say hi. Didn't even visit. What is he doing? I, I know. Yeah, I was over once. <laughs> it was very yeah, nice. Yeah, but like later. And Toaster we got also, to stay we in also a hotel went room. And, we yeah. also went and met up with Toaster the first night. We were there. We had to go yeah, to the gaming yeah. bar, and then it was so incredibly packed that we're like, what have we done? So we went off to some yeah. other bar just to see that it also had like menu items for packs, because just like yeah. mm -hmm. a convention just takes over a city, and so everyone has like their their packs gimmick tie-ins and so on so on yeah so for seattle people we tried to go to ray gun um which is for non-seattle people a relatively popular long-standing like gamer geek bar um on capitol hill it's it generally kind of slanted more towards like board games but they have like some arcade machines and some pinball i thought it would be fun to meet up there but by the time we all got up there it was just packed so we went to pine box which is a mortuary uh that got converted into a bar um mm -hmm. and it's like and this it's was like on a pretty Thursday. nice place. this was the night before pack so that's why i think we were pretty yeah. collectively surprised that it was already that busy <laughs> yeah but yeah Everyone's i was ready. not expecting to to have trouble getting into places um but the thursday yeah yeah exactly um but it, it, it was pretty packed um I assume Raygun killed that weekend because everyone, like every single time I walked by, it, it seemed like it was just packed. So yeah, and we got really drunk, and then the Devolver people were at the mortuary, and we went up and we were like, "Hi," and they were like, "Don't bother us," and we were like, "Well, we're going to anyway." <laughs> Don't bother us. This story didn't happen. By the way. <laughs> they were just having. They, they were, were having sort of. They were, were just hanging out as yeah. like co-workers. They were the non-diegetic revolver digital people. Not mm -hmm. We are famously <laughs> socially brave people that confront people in public as a group. Yes. Like that's, that's, that's what unites us as You don't do that. Group. I do no. that. You, oh, you do? I do. You can be the I chosen really. one. So now we understand what we were missing. <laughs> yeah. Especially, especially in a foreign country. Person. I did, yeah, not necessarily assertive, just shameless. That's that's the trick. That's that's just. It can be both. Usually, someone so, so, would call you shameless, and then you'd be like, "No, I'm just assertive." But you just fucking. No, it's the other way around. You accomplished something <laughs> no. there. Well, now we know we know why we didn't get much accomplished at PAX. It was because Colonel Colonel wasn't there. Yeah, we got guide, a lot done. Our human we just guide. need to done more. We could have harassed more employees if we had Colonel with us. Think about how many like game demos we could have played. How many lines we could have cut if we just had Colonel walking around acting <laughs> like a shameless <laughs> European. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The ugly European. Damn. Oh. That was no. uncalled for. No, because ugly American. That's a term. That's but a thing. Do people not know what the ugly American is? For shame, no. Keith. How, don't fucking hang me out to dry like I insulted Colonel. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> this is calculated. <laughs> no, I know the stereotype. What, I know what you mean. 
Like, I don't know that the ugly American is just like the the stereotypical like way that Americans are expected to act in other countries, like when they're like loud and obnoxious and not respectful of whatever's right. going on around them and right. entitled to this weird touristy like service everywhere they go oh, and so on. Yeah. Just like that whole experience. Because there's so many Americans that people have met us before and we have a reputation. And so that's just a, uh, the rest of us get to just deal with that whenever we go anywhere. Just the idea that people have met Americans before and expect something unfortunate, probably. <laughs> but anyway, we, some, we, we show up at PAX, like the actual place. And immediately, uh, this is my first convention ever. So I'm immediately caught off guard by the fact that it's not what I thought a convention was. Which is, I mm -hmm. thought a convention was just like this one big building like i don't know i guess i'm imagining like a, a high school gym but way bigger you know a huge room and then like some hallways slash doors that go to panels that that happen throughout and that's like a setup and i'm like i never really knew what the space would be like or someone but the reality of at least pax was that like there's like oh, there is the actual show floor on a few different floors that one that one building but then there's like when you go to panels and stuff, you like leave the building and go like across the block to a different hotel to go into like whatever room that they have scheduled for that. Mm -hmm. And that's just an entire mm -hmm. experience. And something about PAX West's layout is so serpentine and like it, you're constantly somehow facing the obstruction that you thought you were that like I, I got through most of the trip and not understanding how it was laid out still somehow so most of the stuff that you're going to go to see at pax is never on the first floor of the building that you're going into yeah and that's this what makes it so confusing yeah this is specifically an issue with the seattle convention center as well um because it shares yeah. business space with a lot of businesses so the the way you get into the building you immediately have to go up escalators after going through security and then you're in this you know, Skybridge area, basically, where there are mm -hmm. technically two buildings flanking the road and a Skybridge that crosses over them. Um, PAX, though, compared to other conventions, is kind of like an issue of scale. Um, yeah. You know, if we were all to have gone to like a smaller like anime or gaming convention somewhere, um, you might have encountered that like big school gymnasium with a few hallways uh, convention idea that you had in your mm -hmm. head. But PAX is just so large that... Um, and centrally located that they kind of just spread out across um they what is it sixth and pine yeah. is where it is yeah um mm -hmm. you just like spread out across that whole area to all the hotels there so there was what the sheraton and the hyatt as well were taken over yes um, yeah they didn't have the weston oh. this year which they've had before they didn't yes. have it last year either the weston's so far away too it is ashamed to have to go there but most of the events at the western were generally limited to like press and, and behind closed door yeah, stuff yeah. i mean there were regular panels there as well sometimes but for the most mm -hmm. part regular convention goers don't need to walk that far yeah so pax is basically three it's basically three buildings um yep. and in two of the buildings uh you have to go to the second floor or higher to get to anything that you care about so for Keith, it must have just been like so disorienting for us <laughs> to like not even say really where we were going because I don't know how to explain it of like, oh, we want to go to this panel. We need to go down three stories of the building we're in, walk two blocks to go into another building, go across the entire lobby, which is basically another block, 
and then take an escalator up. And like, I had like I just two different experiences. I've done it so many it. times. So <laughs> I like, was just like, yeah, this is the way we walk. And you're just going to follow because there's no way I can explain where we're actually going. And the entrances and exits are on different sides of the of the main oh, building. It's too. very strange. Mm -hmm. It sounds yeah. to me like it's more like a university campus than like that's a convention center. It's that, yeah, it's that kind of energy. It's kind of that. <laughs> you're trying, yeah. trying to find the one building you're supposed to be in. Uh, right, I, had, right. I had like two specific stories or weird experiences just trying to navigate where one was like it was I swear it was like day two or three like it was pretty far along in PAX and the group I was in was going to go do something I wasn't going to go to so the plan was for me to go reunite with the other part of our group that was probably in like the board game hall or something and so I'm like okay all I have to do is leave this panel and get back to the convention hall. This should be easy. I've done it before. And I did definitely walk up and down the street for an embarrassingly long time looking for that one kind of downward looking tunnel that goes to that one entrance because it was like mm -hmm. a recognizable landmark and I somehow didn't spot it anywhere, including at one point going up a tunnel instead of down a tunnel just to reach like a weird dead end. And I was walking with a bunch and of people that were going that way, but all of them and me all just continually turned around like confusing sim park people. <laughs> and uh, also the two different groups of people that we were with. So basically it was my group of local friends and then all of the internet people. And then random we encounter Brian. And then random <laughs> encounter Brian. And me and my local friends, we have a preference for one route to get to the entrance. And Toaster and, you know, you all had a different preference. So for me, the muscle memory was like, you go to this one corner, you go this one way, you go this other way, and that's how you get to the entrance. And with the yeah. other group, it was like, you go to a different corner, a different corner, and then you go the other way and wind up at the same place. And the I we both had mutual reactions of, wait, you can get to the building this way? I didn't <laughs> know that. So I had that... I was both on the giving and receiving end of that exchange of information. <laughs> yeah. And like at one point I'm like exploring it like a video game environment. Like I'm just, I'm mapping out the idea of what I think this setting looks like. And like you guys mm -hmm. on the first day, you take me up through the escalators, through the weird like mall looking area and then up into mm -hmm. like the show floor. And there's like one half of the show floor and then a sky bridge, then the other half of the show floor and all these stalls everywhere. And if you take another escalator even higher up, you get to the tabletop floor that's just like, it's like some tabletop uh, vendors, but it's almost entirely just people playing tabletop games from like a library rental system and so on. I'm like, okay, I understand what this convention looks like now. But later that day, after I've been to like a couple panels or something, I fucking follow Toaster and he takes me to this non-Euclidean space that's somehow inside of and behind the rest of the convention center like it, it, it feels it, it feels like when you realize that at Anna Orlando has a second spiral staircase inside of the other spiral staircase that goes to different floors. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like it's that experience because that, that that that's that's what took me to like the area where you play like video game consoles that are just laid out and everything. And I'm like, but I've no, 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 I had a map of this place. It made sense. You can't just take the diagonal escalators and it takes goes to different floors now and there's also and then we keep going deeper and deeper down below like i think we went below the street and i'm like i can't yeah i can't accept this yeah. i can't accept this i live in the yeah. realm of parking lots 
I live in parking lot towns. I'm not ready for this. And, and it doesn't help that the annex that we go to is like a liminal space in and of yes. itself. Yeah. Like everything yeah. is like, it's like a little bit dark. Like you're going through just hallway after hallway. Uh, and then like, it's also super organized too. So whenever you find anything, it's like rows of chairs. Yep. And rows of like, chairs. So weird. But, so the weird thing about the annex too, is that the annex itself, the building that it's in is triangular. It's like an yes. isosceles triangle. It's, it's so you have shape. a slanted wall on one end <laughs> where everything is lined up for the console tournaments. Um, and then you, hug the other diagonal wall and then go downstairs and suddenly you're in a big open room with a mm. bunch of other little rooms flanking it but none of them are facing the same direction yeah. they're, they're like all intersecting parallel lines because none of the walls are regular shaped in that basement area so honestly that the whole annex area was incredibly difficult to navigate and confusing um i i don't blame anyone for getting confused there um but that kind of speaks to the entire Annex console free play experience at PAX. Uh, my kind of uh, axe to grind about this entire experience was uh, had to do with that area. Right. Because I don't know if it was like a premonition of the way it was set up or, or an omen because of that. But uh, console free play was really weird. They had a bunch of fighting games set up, but none of the fighting games were updated. And then the console tournaments were on the floor right above the free play. And we found out that the console tournaments were updated, but had no DLC for any of the games that they were hosting tournaments for. So that whole area was just cursed. If you wanted to play a console game at PAX, you were having a bad time. Then you have the Wii U room. That's weird. Oh, yeah, there was a whole room with just Wii U's in it. <laughs> it was all of the Wii U's. <laughs> we found them. We got to play what Mario Kart there. Yeah, no, it's, I had a weird PAX but experience the where the only three yeah. video games I played the entire trip were Mario Kart 8, Super Smash Brothers Ultimate, and War. The hit arcade War? game with, uh, with a flight stick for aiming in a third-person oh, shooter. Oh, I about that. Oh, that's not and true. I you was played, real, um, and I was so good at it. You played Turtles in Time as well. Yeah, we played like three beat-em-ups. Played Turtles in Time and we played Ninja Baseball Boys. <laughs> or whatever it was called. <laughs> Ninja Baseball Bat Army Men. <laughs> it's just like a bunch of it. words. It's like somebody alphabet souped a fucking... Like arcade just, free play was was pretty flaccid <laughs> this year. There was not a lot of stuff in there. It was just kind of sad. Like, I mean, it was like a fun time. You go and you see all these arcade machines, but the arcade machines were also not in very well kept condition. Um, I played a few games of uh, Marvel superheroes versus Capcom. And for whatever reason, the sprites on screen were just fine. Um, you could like play things looked fine. But the backgrounds were just like mosaic tiles, like mm -hmm. kind of like if you were to take oh. an N64 cartridge and like tilt the corner of it out of the, the cart. Yes. Um, it so just like issue, wasn't loading the backgrounds for some reason. The issue that's really hitting Seattle very hard um, for that stuff, it's kind of surprising, but like the retro game uh, scene and like all the shops that we have, like for repairing those machines, 
keeping them up to date, making new ones have been hit so hard by COVID and the supply chain issues. Yeah. Like getting the parts to like repair CRT monitors right now is so expensive. Yeah. That, can, that can't be the monitor are, though. That has to be like the, the game. Well, connection. everything, everything, yeah, probably like the, the boards, board. the boards themselves, like getting the things you need to, re to repair those is really hard right now. Everything is just hanging on by a thread in the, in that space like the 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 retro gaming um museum that we used to have has been closed mm -hmm. indefinitely for two years i was really sad it, about that indefinitely yeah. for two years how does that's not what indefinitely means as in they closed indefinitely two years ago oh right that yeah. makes more sense they're not so, they have no date for reopening right now because and by this point everything's probably busted and they can't be repaired so who knows how long it's going to be for me, I used to live in Seattle. Um, I lived there for five years before I moved to where I live now. And this is my first time back in the city since the pandemic. I moved literally a week before lockdown started. So it was very surreal going back to Seattle and like knowing everything about the city, knowing how to move around and navigate, but like not seeing any of the businesses I was familiar with. And like the few that were still around were like closed or had like extremely limited uh like hours or things like that because of the mm -hmm. pandemic so that was kind of a, a sad uh i guess side flavor to the whole trip was like it come is back to the city that you love that's also dying because and of the, the pandemic. thing about seattle is that it's weathered the pandemic way better than a lot of other cities too yep. like we're one that's doing okay <laughs> yeah but anyway yeah what did we do on the first day of pax we, we had up you some of this went what to a secretary of state steve hobbs talk yeah that was the oh, first yeah. thing we did we went to a panel done by washington's uh secretary of state yeah who is also like he also plays D D and like runs his own campaigns and stuff he was cool <laughs> how was it, it was did very you, neat did you learn anything do you feel politically inspired now um I mean, I learned that he's cool, but it's not like he had <laughs> deep political revelations that I wasn't already aware of or anything like that. But it was just neat to see somebody who was, um, you know, not like a, a lawyer or like a CEO and doing stuff in politics. Like he was just a very, very regular, relatable person to like geek culture. Actually, yeah, that was a big thing I'm remembering now is that he said um, he... When he entered politics in Washington state, he was interested in um, building up like the tech space and like video game space and stuff like that. And like that being an advocate for for those industries in our government here um, when beforehand people were like had never even heard of, like, say, Wizards of the Coast and like they had no like real business presence in the legislature. Their interests weren't being re represented at all. So that was a big thing that he did talk about. That that was probably the most revelatory, politically inspiring thing that I remember anyway. Uh, he also had mentioned that um, he would sometimes host these D&D &D nights and invite various other people in the legislatures from like all different parties and just have everybody play together just to like get to know each other and build that rapport. I'm just like trying to imagine stuffy, like, you know, state uh, legislature house people being like, <laughs> and I am playing the paladin. <laughs> oh, no. 
the alignment for system deception the alignment system just had uh evil crossed out into republican and good crossed out the alignment system's, system the alignment system's gotta be so fucked in a room like that oh yeah uh, what does um, it even mean but yeah i mean it was a surprisingly good panel um the guy is pretty young too for a politician uh and i mean the really the only reason that we went to this was basically just a what the hell is this gonna possibly be thing it's just like so this is like the one of the first panels of the entire convention too it's the first was, one we really, went to it, yeah. well yeah but the it, it was at noon on the first day and i think that the panel started at like 10 a.m mm -hmm. so this was really early in the convention and it was just like a, a keynote like i don't know like a fireside chat by steve hobbs or something <laughs> it was like what the hell is this gonna be we gotta find out and we did and it was fine were there so, a lot of people in the in the room yes or... a, a hmm. very surprisingly large number of people showed up mm -hmm. um unsurprisingly they were all a little bit older but mm -hmm. you know they were there <laughs> Old people still exist. Yeah. We, we, Were there we still, a lot of we young, still let them like, in. Like fresh teen, fresh out of teens people in, in PAX? Or was it, what kind of demographics was PAX like? I guess early 20s. I don't know. It's pretty, hmm. pretty wide, pretty wide spectrum, I guess. Seattle I mean, I itself like is a pretty... also has children. It does, yeah. yeah. Really? Yeah. Not many, but yeah. Yeah, like I, huh. I saw like a kids who were there with their parents and stuff. Yeah. That's interesting. And they will take they were out. quite Seattle has like a pretty wide uh net as far as like geek group goes. The city has been geeky for a very long time. Um so as far as PAX goes compared to other conventions I've been to, the, the age demographic is actually pretty spread. Um Right. You know, I, I remember seeing quite a few like I mean, for lack of a better word, there were a lot of retirees here this year as well. So you see like a lot of gray haired people and then you see a lot of really young people and then you see people mm -hmm. within like, you know, like working professionals and stuff like that, too. So compared to most conventions, uh, Seattle is pretty evenly or not Seattle. Uh, PAX is relatively uh, evenly distributed as far as age goes. Yeah. And our, our tech scene skews uh, a lot older than, yep. um, say, like Silicon Valley or someplace like that. So what other the, what other a lot of the, lot of the early entertainment of these panels came from just reading them and then not going to them? Yeah, <laughs> it's like there was yeah, a, Friday is always a is a is a funky day. I got so, entertainment just out of like the baffling premise that the Steve uh, Hobbs thing existed, but then the yeah, my, it was but my, pretty wild. My personal favorite though was just reading the title "How to Be a Pro Gamer" from someone who makes pro gamers, and I'm like. I hate this guy already. Wait, what? I immediately hate this guy. Yeah, like, that's as a programmer. That's yeah. That's not the Steve Hobbs panel, by the way. This no. is a different. No, one. this is another yeah. panel's title, and it's like it's one that I just, I just read the title and laughed at Bird in his bed in his uh in his living room about it, and then we need to never learn more about that because no. and there's just a series of those. Like this one is like, what is difficulty anyway? And then let's. I think. <laughs> 
I can almost assume the same person the next day has a panel that's like, what is graphics anyway? Like, there's just a series of question <laughs> panel titles. Mm. I mean, if the what is difficulty anyway is talking about how Dark Souls isn't a difficult game, I would be all over that. <laughs> but the... But uh, uh, should have gone. My first panel it's ever, a... ever, ever is we, find, we went on to go to the psychology of Pokemon, the power to catch them all. And everyone here went to that. And I don't think anyone enjoyed it. <laughs> No, Ooh, this we, is we did not panel. go to that one. We went to the voiceover panel. That was at the same time. Oh, right. Or I think we did. Like the, the psychology of Pokemon. Reason. We might have just gone to the expo hall. I think we did the expo hall at that point. I, I don't remember doing that. That panel yeah. hurt me. <laughs> it was not very good. Yeah, we heard it um, was terrible. Basically, the premise was there is a panel of like five doctors and psychologists, psychiatrists, who had done research, allegedly, and were writing a book. They were talking allegedly. about how Pokemon, um, you know, could theoretically be used in treatment. Like, that was the way that the panel was pitched, was that, like, Pokemon, there's, like, a lot of depth in the psychology, but also there's a lot of applications for the psychology. Um, we, but when we I went... Sorry. <laughs> oh, go on. Sorry. Be- uh, I was about to interrupt you with something completely irrelevant, but since I have, let's go. Uh, <laughs> we left after the first 30 minutes. That's what happened. Oh, oh. That's, yeah, we that's showed up and then we had to go bounce or something else. Gotcha. Uh, Did so, we go to that one? Because I don't remember. I remember hearing about it from other people being like, oh, my God, like that was so not. Worth oh, it. it was awful. Anyway, it was so, so tell us how it was awful. Yeah. So um, basically what happened was the panel starts and it it's kind of starts like any panel where they spend an inordinate amount of time introducing themselves and waste the first 25 minutes of the panel. Um, it's just a bunch of people who are like they're all wearing medical scrubs because you have to cosplay yourself at a panel when you're putting it on. People recognize you and wearing scrubs, uh, but they were yeah. like doctor things. Yes. I was not scrubs. at this like. And I don't know where I was. <laughs> they uh, they basically were like, yeah, so like Pokemon's like really deep. So we're going to ask you all questions about stuff and like throw Pokeballs out into the crowd uh, if you get them right. And it'll be like swag for you. So they, they start the panel by asking a bunch of weird stuff um, that is like really surface level, which I should have taken as a omic for the rest of the panel. But they were like when a pokemon evolves what does that mean and like someone answered they were like they're motivated and the person was like Mm -hmm. you're correct and they like threw them a t-shirt and like right then i was like oh no um (laughs) and so they continue to go through this panel talking about how effectively um pokemon is really psychologically deep because uh it has emotions in it and people care about it which is fine but uh, the panel was definitely sold on the idea that, like, here are some, you know, psychological applications and, like, things that we've learned about people through Pokemon. And really all they were there to say was, like, in Pokemon, Ash goes through lots of trials and you go through trials in life. So isn't that psychologically interesting? Um, really and that was truly the depth of the panel through the entire hour uh, that we were all there. Incredible. I was so, genuinely baffled. <laughs> so I've done, I've been to a couple of panels like that um, at previous PAXs. And, um, you know, there there's usually at least like one or two per day that are trying to extrapolate like video game culture onto like psychotherapy and stuff like that. 
and yeah. and the 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 problem with those panels is that fundamentally it's um therapists and like games are sort of like an auxiliary thing to what they're actually doing so yep. the connection between it ends up being super tenuous because they're not it's they're they're therapists first and foremost so that's yeah. what they're that's what they're doing well um, it was and this it was, was just a particularly like thin <laughs> yeah uh, well it, it was interesting in that regard because you know it's exactly as you said like they're all therapists they're all like working people trying to do their job um and somehow shoehorn their own interests into it and like one of the panelists um their entire contribution to the panel was like yeah i have like lots of kids who come into my practice that are like dealing with stuff and she would be like they're dealing with like abuse or like difficult home issues um and all they want to do is talk about pokemon go so i talked to him about pokemon go and that's like the depth <laughs> of yeah. the, what that tangent would go on so it, it was definitely um you know on one hand it's very easy to see why they wanted to do this panel um especially because they were shilling a book called the psychology of pokemon which we did not know before we got there um but also i saw you their, know, i uh, saw their place later that day and there was an entire array of like of psychology books tied to video games that it, it looked like when you saw like the the uh the four dummies like chain of things or like when people oh like, yeah or like <laughs> i remember back in college when i looked at their at the student store there was like a the psychology of breaking bad the psychology of game of yep. thrones like line and it's like this has to be the most exhausting pop nonsense yeah <laughs> and that's that's kind of the whole depth of the entire panel was just like that surface level and like they didn't even really talk about the psychology of like what happened like there wasn't any we're gonna break down a scene in pokemon and like talk about you know how this represents right. something else it really was just like Remember when Charizard wasn't very nice to Ash? Ash well, had to not, prove himself. They're <laughs> not like, literary okay. analysts. Yeah, yeah. They're it, it was it was agony. So. Yeah, because yeah. so for when you're someone that's used to like video essays, going right. to a thing where people are just like, sometimes, and this happened to all of us. Sometimes you lose all your Pokemon and you faint, but then you get back up and you grind. And you overcome those challenges and like like having this kind of fucking like <laughs> slow motion talk of the most basic elements of observations of a children's show. But like not even like real Pokemon. They're describing it like it's Dora the Explorer like level of like mm -hmm. this. This is a panel for actual eight year olds level. And it goes on for a full hour. And I was like, we left after 30 minutes because so we confused. we went to the the. The video game voiceover, uh, New Horizons panel, and we wanted to go to that early because we thought that the line would fill up, mm -hmm. um, and it, it it did, but not totally. But um, we had good seats. We though. we got good seats as a result. We got there really early, uh, and yeah, I mean that was that's kind of our uh, Ladybird and I's like our motive of the entire thing was we just went to any voice acting panel we could get our hands on. We basically went to all of them. Mm -hmm. oh, um, wow. And it's a blur because they had different people in them, but then they had the same people in them. But it was it was dank every single time. So what was the first one? I'm going to pull it up. Video game voiceover New Horizons. 
was uh it's oh local. this was interesting and yeah they it was a it was a, a panel split between um voice actors based out of la and voice actors based out of seattle which mm-hmm. is to say that it was kind of like riot games and like anime people from la and then basically just the valve people from seattle so uh we got to see um the person who voices uh shinji the new the new voice of shinji casey um, mongolo yeah and we got to see um the voice actress for aqua um we got to see some other folks so i don't really remember um and then we got to see like uh the 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 valve people so ellen mclean um mrs ellen mclean mrs mrs <laughs> mclean that's how he introduced himself yes uh ellen mclean's husband um who is a uh, cool mm-hmm. what is he he's the sniper from tf2 and stuff like that and then they also had uh the heavy weapons guy slash um demo man from tf2 uh all doing a panel together and it was really really good do do the voice actor panels i swear they're they're awesome they're Always so do much them. fun yeah because yeah. they, they on... yeah I was going to say on that topic, actually, uh, just to put a pin in it, um, the voice actor panel that we went to later in the con was also really excellent. And it had some crossover oh. with this panel. So oh, it was mm-hmm. great. Yeah, we're definitely going to come back to that one. But this one was really fun. Um, it was a pretty typical like career Q&A type type panel. And I've been to a bunch of those for voice actors because it's just so fascinating. Um and so there was a lot of when it came time for like people to do question and answers, it was a lot of the same shit of like, how do you do voice acting? How do you get started? And it's like, buy a microphone, go, you know. But that was the thing that I keep that's kind of like resonated a bit with me was just the understanding of like, it is pretty damn easy to get started in some sense of like, do you want to start yeah. doing voice acting? Just all you really need to do is just try like just stick a microphone in front of you start recording yourself doing shit and like learn there's it's so so straightforward to begin at least so that was really fascinating i mean one of the through lines with those kinds of panels too is people talking like yeah you might not get you know like a starring video game role right off the bat but like think about how many like web series and stuff like that that people do and they meet other creators and all of a sudden you start seeing these people pop into everything um Mm -hmm. And so, like, that's always really interesting, too, is to see, like, yeah, like, these people literally started just, like, doing doing comic fan dubs on, on yes. Twitter and YouTube. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then um, one thing uh, that um, I've been to these a bunch, and one thing that always happens is that El- Mrs. Ellen McLean, every panel, he makes a joke how he sleeps with GLaDOS every fucking hell. <laughs> yeah. every, every time i've seen him in this one and i'm talking i i saw him at magfest in 2017 he's just he's like been making this joke for five hits. fucking Feel years it. kills every single time it does <laughs> it Everyone does actually yeah <laughs> so uh and then and then um he sleeps with the, that cake <laughs> and then they, uh, there's also <laughs> another joke there's another joke that happens a lot less a lot less common, but somebody will occasionally in the QA panel ask, like, like, 
you have a lot of experience in the industry. And Ellen will chime in like, we're old. And like, I think that I've heard her make that joke two or three times when somebody asks, like, how much experience you have and stuff like that. She's such you're a seeing, diva, You're though. seeing behind she's, the Matrix. She's you're seeing behind the Matrix by going back and watching them do it again. It's like when you watch the same show again at like Disneyland mm-hmm. and you're like, but leave him alone. Cool. He's they're doing their gig. God, it's so cool. I wouldn't it go is. back if I didn't have a good time. It's so fun. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um. But that was a pretty straightforward, like career focused one. I'm just like a lot of like these took general questions of like what their experiences have been like. Uh and you know, they did that in all the panels, so we can talk about it when uh, we get to the other ones. Was that the one where Ellen McLean uh said that pineapple juice is really healthy for kind of like helping the throat stay in good shape? I don't remember. Is that very why, incorrect why or something? <laughs> huh? Why no, I ask? just I just remember that. And then I remember Casey was like, oh, my God, I learned something new here. <laughs> see, that comes with experience. Yes. See, because <laughs> she's a diva like she knows these things. Yeah, she's a huge diva. I did she's not a, know uh, that she was the voice of like flight control systems or something. Oh, oh yeah, for, yeah. That was granted. I the, also the didn't. I didn't uh, even know that she was the voice of the TF2 announcer, though. So I'm behind. Uh, <laughs> yeah, she's the voice behind. of flight control systems. So every time you take off, uh, apparently the pilots hear Glados being like, like telling them like if their altitudes are correct or anything like that. So as she says, like every time you fly. GLaDOS is piloting the plane. <laughs> yeah, and then there was one time that she got to meet the pilots on her flight, right? Oh, yeah. And they were yeah. like, oh, it's you. Uh, what, what, what did they call her? Like, Bitch and Betty? <laughs> <laughs> That's the one. That is a, a, oh, a different very different nickname than expected mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> well because they didn't know her actual name right like yeah. they only knew her voice for this like automated system mm-hmm. and so they just ended up giving her a nickname <laughs> mm-hmm. the whole industry yeah Jim Petty, <laughs> no it's alliteration it has to be i so... think uh it does stick yeah, that we... way yeah, we can. We'll talk about more before sector things, but I think that pretty much wraps up that one. Did Did you go to the drag queens one that I night? I did. Yeah. What was that like? I don't remember. You weren't at it. I, I know. Like... But I don't remember <laughs> if you told me. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> um, it was fairly straightforward. There were some. Yeah. Uh, I know straightforward. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, like it was. There were four queens. Um, I think some of them were like non-binary or trans uh they were all like streaming queens though so like they all Mm. you know played video games and things online and like did tournaments and stuff like that so like that was actually really cool but then they also talked about you know like how to support local drag and things like that like it was just it was just a fun time were they in drag or oh yeah oh nice of course did they look fabulous of course. Nice. Killed it. 
Yes. I don't know drag slang. <laughs> <laughs> was the did they yes and go. or slay? <laughs> I am still reeling from stream queens entering my mind. I, I, I enjoy this this phrase, <laughs> like, the, right? like, the, yeah. like the TV like the TV show Scream Queens or something. But no, stream, stream queens. queens, yes. Yeah. Think about all the juicy drama, the hot tea that comes from that <laughs> whole circle of people oh, that no. you didn't know existed more than two minutes ago. Was that panel yeah. relatively packed? Not yeah. super packed, no. Okay, but there was there was a good audience. No, like, the super pack was at barren. the Secretary of State. Oh, yeah. gotcha. Ah, mm-hmm. ah, ah. <laughs> the um, <laughs> the reason why I ask is just because Seattle is actually a relatively big city for drag. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, Seattle's a really queer city, but um, the drag scene there, especially, is known for being. Uh, not only very prevalent, but also kind of a, like a starting place for a lot of people getting into mm. drag. Um, mm-hmm. The Seattle scene is kind of huge for that. So I didn't know uh, that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like there are Rue girls who originally started out as Seattle queens. Yep. I basically yep. learned one thing oh, about RuPaul. Seattle culture okay. <laughs> in total while I yep. was there. I was, for whatever reason, I was thinking Rue Mc, Mc, McClanahan. McClanahan. Rue McClanahan for a second. <laughs> I mean, they're related, you know. Okay. But yes. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah. I don't know what I was doing during that time. That was 7 p.m., so that was probably delirious board game hour. I think you were doing board games because, yeah, that's one that I went to by myself. Yeah. Did we do I, anything else that Friday? What was? Didn't we go to I don't a different know if you panel all did, as well? But that was the that was the. I definitely went to at least one other day. panel because I only I only mentioned the really bad one. Yeah, but what the, was uh, the other panel though? I don't remember. <laughs> the other one I have listed it was uh, video game trivia live, but I don't think I went to that one. None of us went to it. We were too yeah. tired. Yeah, kind of scroll through the things. But on on the topic of Seattle culture, the only thing I learned about Seattle culture the entire time I was there was that three separate people emphatically recommended these dogs <laughs> like yeah. this is an important <laughs> thing that i had to go to and so i did have it and it was very good <laughs> but they uh, they serve they, they serve uh they serve uh, a polish dog in a bun just caked with with cream cheese and they completely cover it with with uh, grilled onions and that is everything i want like that's my new hot dog, basically. It sounds really good. God damn, that sounds good. I just yeah, stood there great. and ate it standing up on the sidewalk because that's just there's just a, like a line <laughs> of people on one side it's, to get the hot yeah. dogs and a line of people on the other side just kind of this wedge eating of them. people eating them standing on the sidewalk because <laughs> where do you go? For non-Seattle people, D's Dogs has been a staple um, on the 6th and Pine area, the Westlake area in general, for years. Um, she's literally just an awesome person who has run a hot dog cart for forever. And it's her and uh, I don't know if it's someone related to her or someone just very close with her, maybe an employee that's been there for a really long time. But literally just two women who just are on the level for every convention. They dress up uh, and they talk to people about it. And they just sell hot dogs. They hawk hot dogs on the corner. And those are some of the best hot dogs you can find in Seattle. She kept staring at me when I was in line and I didn't know why for the longest time. 
And then, but then, but then she started talking about my shirt the moment I got to the front because I was wearing that like the rave wolf shirt that was just like a hundred green wolves with like lighters and shit, (laughs) just just cartoon faces. Yeah, it's just a it's just a crowd shot. Like it's a it's a rave thing. It's just a big mess of of werewolves. I just saw it. She was very fixated on my shirt for the like ten minutes I was in line. (laughs) She it was it was very noticeable. Oh, I found the panel we went to. We went to Filmjoy. Oh, that was oh, on yeah. Friday. That yeah, was one of the, the best panels we saw. Weekend. Yeah. Yeah. They're just very entertaining people, and it was a good break from the psychologists. You're like, oh, right. Funny people. If you get like a bunch of YouTubers together, they, they make an entertaining panel just by existing, because that's what they do. They described the mouthfeel of like shitty popcorn for 10 minutes, and it was better than the entire last panel that I watched. <laughs> What was very funny to me about that was so they taste tested Oreo popcorn, which uh, I'm sure some people in the audience are horrified and other people are like, oh, that sounds great. Um, and that was and actually, like yeah, that was their reaction. I good. also really liked it. I think it's great. Um, and like, so half the people at Filmjoy were like, this is awesome. And then Mikey <laughs> and uh, I can't remember his name. The other guy were like, this is the worst thing I've ever tasted in my life. Um, and that's how they kicked off that panel. Um, trying to think how what else did they do there they did the they played a game where um they had to decide whether a item was real like a real uh infant care baby item or a fake one that the new parents at film joy had made up um (laughs) and it was extraordinarily difficult uh there was some there was some crazy child jackbox dis or dat yes Mm -hmm. that's what it was um that was a really interesting time. And then they debuted the most recent episode or the newest episode of Movies with Mikey, which I do not know if it is up at this time. It is. Can we share what it is? I mean, it's not, we're not under DNA, but I think they actually uploaded like that, like the next day or so. <laughs> oh, okay. We are <laughs> always under DNA. We're always under DNA. <laughs> I knew, yeah. I know we're not, uh, you know, we didn't sign a uh, non-disclosure, but yeah. I just wanted you know, to be They polite. did a Everything Everywhere All at Once video essay, which they premiered at the panel. So that was just like a fun surprise. Yeah. Uh, what they, was... It, it went up pretty quickly. What was kind of odd about this, though, is that there was like 45 minutes of panel before they were like, and now we're going to show you the newest movies with Mikey. Everyone obviously was there to see this. So and everyone there really liked everything everywhere all at once. I don't think there was a single person in the audience who wasn't into that, knowing his target demographic. Um, I did not know what premiere was going to happen. Yeah, we watched the entirety of this movies with Mikey. um, And then the panel just ended. (laughs) Like, you're just like, all right, bye. (laughs) And then you just get up and leave with a room full of people who just you silently watched a YouTube video with (laughs) for the past 15 minutes. Well, there was a was the Q&A before or after the 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 video it was i'm trying to think i don't even think that they really had time for a q a did the, they? there was there was a q a but it was it fell a little flat like not that many people were getting up and i spent the, i was like panic trying to think of a question because of the fact that there was like a very real chance of being able to ask one i'm like oh fuck i should actually think of a question and i wanted to ask him about whether or not he feels like the uh <laughs> whether or not he goes through the, the stages of grief that is making a video essay where like oh, it yeah. starts off as a great idea and then by the end you kind of are like your entire opinion of like the project keeps like waning but then the audience response to it when it actually comes out becomes your opinion to an extent about your own yeah. work just that whole like bizarre experience because like I, I often finish a project hating it like i'm like this is horrible <laughs> i quit uh 
No, they're very entertaining people, and they and when they did when they did the extended like this or that game show thing, they brought on two audience members, and those people were like shockingly like in their element, seemingly like they wow. felt like oh, they almost yeah. felt like plants because they were like really <laughs> funny people that were like riffing off of the because it was a it was two two film joy hosts and two audience members in teams of two against each other making and make doing the panel, and they were all very entertaining people to the point of being suspicious. <laughs> Yeah, they were very charismatic, which is definitely not the norm for a uh, audience, you know, Q and A bit at uh, a Seattle gaming convention. Yeah, uh, but they were I'm definitely funny. That's... And yeah, I don't know. Never mind. That's all to say the Film Joy panel <laughs> was very good. It was a good panel. The other, I think that pretty much wraps up Friday. I mean, the only yeah. thing else that we did. So there's going to be a common thing. Every day ends with us in the board game hall. Um, yes. That is the best experience. If you're going to be at PAX for a couple of days, just check out the board game hall. It's got a free system where you go and you you give them your badge. Uh, and then you can check out anything from the library that they have. Uh, and they have such a great selection. Uh, you can you can really get into some some stuff and and you know Ladybird and I are not really big board game people but over the years we've played enough good ones that like we've acquired like a good library of really fun games and a lot of them were through packs mm -hmm. so I, I really recommend the board game uh, room even if you're not into board games you'll you'll be able to find uh, good experiences if you have somebody to kind of get you into it you know yeah like i now I own great. a copy of pantone a game i never would have even we, looked oh at for God. a moment we played pantone if, before if the podcast we did, yeah. <laughs> yeah like i would not have i would not have owned a copy of that game if if bird if ladybird didn't just like pick it up on a whim at random like i don't think so anybody found it yeah i just i we were uh wandering around the like the game run board game rental area essentially and i was just like oh this looks interesting and like we were all trying to decide on a game to play but like all of the ones that we had thrown out as suggestions like oh let's see if they have this were already checked out so we yeah, had a bunch yeah. of games that we couldn't play we were looking to just like kill time uh and then yeah ladybird found pantone which is just <laughs> one of the most unhinged games to just pick up and play you guys got especially to be with introduced to my company you guys got to be introduced to my chaos energy when i try to present images to people so oh. since we brought up pantone we might as well explain it it's basically uh drawful uh you're given a prompt and you have to like represent it pictorially but you don't get a pen you don't get a marker what you get is color swatches. You have little <laughs> colored oh. rectangles and you have to arrange them into uh, pop culture characters. A cursed facsimile of whatever your prompt was. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, and you get four of each color. Yeah. So and there are 16 luck. colors. Yeah. I hereby Lady crown Bird myself is... the best player. Y'all are just haters. Oh, hell no. <laughs> Ladybird was shockingly good at this game. That was she a really good devastated us. <laughs> freaked me out a little bit. But uh, she somehow yes, made, managed to make like a pixel perfect Don, uh, Donald Duck out of identically shaped index card <laughs> things. <laughs> I'm this proud podcast of my Donald Duck. Be... 
the thumbnail of this podcast should be the the whatever it was elmo that you <laughs> oh god that is a terrible <laughs> thumbnail <It's laughs> if awful. i can even yeah. find it but it's also just like not a clickable thing oh no not at all that was no. abysmal uh it was Keith's strategy for pantone is to uh just puke different images onto the table <laughs> that might be tangentially related to the prompt as well as the prompt so you just get this smorgasbord of insanity uh <laughs> that you just don't, somehow... you don't understand my genius the fact that i was yeah. iterating with every design and coming up with new strategies left and right that one was Do a lot wanna... which is that i tried to, to create nick though i tried to draw <laughs> Nick continually modified the drawings while people were guessing and kept sliding things around to the point where you couldn't tell what he was going for. So Nick is Nick is one of my really good friends. Like was, IRL friends. Yeah, yeah, he's from the area. I mean, he doesn't live here anymore, but he lived here for a number of years. Uh, and he is not a very artistic person at all, um, but he he tries and so i've never seen anything like this before he would make his character he would give people like five seconds to guess and he'd be like wait a minute and then he would rearrange it and then he'd be like okay and then people would get like one guess in, and he'd be like no wait hold on and they would rearrange it again and it was so funny we it were was like laughing. a completely nonsensical animatic it was it was like he animated it by the end because he made so many iterations on the drawing Oh, God. <laughs> I laughed so hard. Jokes but, aside, Pantone is a fantastic, absolutely absurd game. Yeah, and I'm glad that, that we played game it. Geek with its 6.8 or whatever. Yeah, it's a 10 I out of 10. It is. I yeah. recommend immediately taking it out of its box and throwing the box away and putting it in like a card holder because that's all it is. Oh, yeah. It's just, mm -hmm. it's yeah. just a deck of cards. Uh, uh, is it a sneeze? Is it? Uh, it's just a deck of cards <laughs> and all of the decks of cards are in these weird containers that have like a little wedge that makes it so you're supposed to be able to tap one side to make the other side stick up in order to be able to pick them out but the result was just that the entire all of the cards in the box we were try, were checking out all of them were bent <laughs> like it was oh, yeah. yeah so you just like abused. couldn't get them out <laughs> It's also just mm -hmm. the least space efficient boxing I've ever seen for a game that is just some cards and not even that many cards. Because <laughs> yeah. the cards, the color cards themselves are just 16 colors and four copies of each. Like that's all you have to, like you have ammo. You can only use four of each color. You gotta go. Uh, and then there's just a deck of cards for prompts. That's the whole game. So, But the box is huge. It's massive for that. It doesn't make any sense. But the, it, it was a good time. It is pretty big, isn't it? My favorite, my favorite know, moment was Wonder it. Woman. My favorite moment was Wonder Woman, where <laughs> where I started Tell the Wonder Woman story. So one of the many strategies you can employ in Pantone is that you can just start stacking the cards vertically, so that they're so that you, you instead of trying to like shape the thing like your character, you instead just represent their color their color makeup from like bottom to top, like you're like three D printing a like. Ret like a retro throwback character essentially like Atari level yeah. not even NES these are very old school like you just create a, <laughs> you just create a character that's like one pixel wide essentially and you try to draw upwards and so I, I start at her boots it's like I gave her like the red shoes and then I gave her like 
like flesh colored like shins and then i gave her like red underwear or something like i'm I'm like or no it's blue underwear with like like the poof ball i'm I'm missing ideas there's the, the, the blue underwear with like the golden like cap or whatever but like when i put in like the starting colors Bird's like, ah, I know what it is when I only had, like, four colors. Because, like, mentally he thought I'd just made Cartman from South Park. <laughs> but then I added... But the, every time he, he had a reaction Ow. that he definitely knew who I was making, mentally I'm like, what the fuck? Because I'm, like, only at, like, the shoes of a character that has so many <laughs> details to draw. And so I'm just making this tower of colored cards because it's... And, it's, and because it's such base colors of just being the three primary colors because it's an old comic book character, it's so... Uh, it's so cross-compatible with so many other characters. So I get, like, higher up and... Like once again, Bird's absolutely sure again that he definitely knows who I'm making, and he, which he later explained was that I definitely made King Dedede at that point. But then I, but then I just kept fucking going and going. The character just kept getting taller, and by the when it was finally done, it was 100% obvious that's absolutely Wonder Woman, and it was not a, a guessing game. But there were so many characters I made along the way because of how like versatile red, yellow, and blue are. Yeah. After you got to King DDD, you put another card down, and I just said, please stop. (laughs) (laughs) It's an absurd Uh, game. It's a lot of fun. Oh, my God. Uh, If you have a picture of Wonder Woman, it would be great to crop it. Just kick it over to me. I'll crop it at the levels of the different states that I saw it. And you'll be able to be like, oh, shit, that's Cartman. Oh, shit, that's (laughs) DDD. It's it's, Uh, a... Pantone's a weird. It's a, it's a it's a pretty good game. It looks it looks and is like a weird cynical corporate tie-in thing. That's just like the actual brand and so on, which just feels weird. But it's just like it it, it it works. It's so fun though. Like yeah. Are we gonna talk about Nick's Marge Simpson? I don't remember <laughs> it. Oh, I do. So yeah, he put a bunch of like blue cards together and then a bunch of yellow. And then, like, none of us were able to get it. Yeah, she was naked, and she didn't have shoes or a necklace. It was just yellow and then blue. (laughs) This has the added uh, issue of the fact that Lady Bird, the night that we played it, you got Marge Simpson, and we got it instantly. (laughs) Because I gave her a dress and a necklace. (laughs) You just just drew Marge Simpson. (laughs) Yeah. Here's another another really funny thing. So I... I was um, I was pretty late to the Pantone party because I was hanging out with other people. I show up while Keith and Lady Bird are having a Pantone duel. And, <laughs> uh, I know nothing about the game. I just walk over to the table and I see Cthulhu on the table. And I'm just like, <laughs> I don't want to say why is Cthulhu on the table because I don't know what this game is. But I was just like, oh, there's a representation of Cthulhu on this table. And... Keith could not figure out that the character was Cthulhu. No. And I was just like, I I knew it was Cthulhu from a distance. <laughs> and then my other help. friends showed up and they were like, they also immediately knew it was Cthulhu. They had the exact same reaction I did of like, oh, I don't know what this game is, but Cthulhu is on the table right now. And you didn't know what it was. And Andrew confirmed that he didn't know what it was. So I guess we have a Seattle hive mind where <laughs> me and my friends and Lady Bird, we were all able to like 
like figure out our shared Cthulhu subconscious. <laughs> you live close to the sea. We do you live know, close yeah. to the sea. Yeah, Cthulhu's we've seen squids before. Keith doesn't live anywhere close to the sea. I, it's true. I live in parking lots. Yeah. That's... What a character to have to try to represent out of cards. A character with no defined color palette or specific appearance besides just having face tentacles. Like, then you have to yeah, make them out of rectangles. Did a perfect job because three people identified it instantaneously. <laughs> I, I had to take it's some Dalek. creative liberties with the colors and to, to try to make something that looked. It was a green squid. It was, it was so brown. <laughs> it was green and brown. It was absolutely it was not gray. green at all. I just looked it up. You didn't use any green? No, no, I used like browns and grays. How the hell did I know it was Cthulhu? I don't know. I'm it convinced you man I'm, I'm convinced like, that you like invented realistic. this entire memory because I'm pretty sure that we were guessing around the table what it was and no one was getting it. Yeah, no, I, I had is, no idea my, what it was. This was my first experience with Pantone, was I just walked over, saw it was Cthulhu. That's what Oh, it was. I can't get that it's yeah, Cthulhu. It's, I don't it's browns see Cthulhu and grays and like white. I, looks, I swear to you, though, it was Cthulhu. It looks like, like a claw machine grabbing mind. a stuffed rabbit. Yeah. It looks like a, it looks like a virus. To yeah. be fair, yes, once... but it's a Cthulhu. It is a Cthulhu, Once we found though. out it was Cthulhu, it made sense. Like, the picture made sense. It was just hard to guess with no context. It's a tough Not prompt. Not for me. What a per it's guess. also a, a perfect game to play at PAX. It's that... Yep. Yeah. The game is written for exactly that target audience, where it, it knows... Mm -hmm. It like it, it the the entire list of prompts is all like geek characters, but also a very specific like widespread kind of shallow like non niche version, to the point where like I was impressed when we were like dozens of cards deep, and not once when it was anyone like oh I don't know who that character is, which would mm -hmm. be a horrible yeah, bummer that too. that would ruin the game. Is if somebody yeah. was like I have I don't know who that character is. There was one point where we we did specify like we looked at the box to see when it was printed to see if it could be a certain character we were thinking of and because like is this game really making like that relevant of a thing? Like is it making a, a reference to only a few right? years ago? Yeah. yeah, it was something like that. There was just that question like could it be Thanos? Yeah. <laughs> so Pantone's so good that like both we, we we bought multiple copies within our group. Yeah. Really can't recommend that game enough. I'm looking it's at my really copy fun. right now. It takes no time at all to like learn and set up too. I That's love what that. Makes it so good. We also uh, just to like for full disclosure, we did not follow the rules of having a time limit. Yeah. To create each of the patterns because it's so much more fun without that. But you also like what is the time limit anyway? Like a minute. Yeah, they want you I to mean, rapidly make the entire picture in a minute, which is one thing you but, could do, but we were just kind of hanging out. The other thing is that, like, like when I, I play with finish my drawings and, oh, like, I finish my representations in, like, 10 seconds, like, 15 seconds. Like, as soon as I get my hand dealt to me, uh, I just look at the cards and, like, okay, I know how I'm going to do that one, that one, and that one. And, like, they're so obvious. I, I think that a minute would be way too much time. Unless it's you're Nick, in which case you need fucking. I was gonna say all of, us, <laughs> all of us definitely take more than a minute. A minute goes by fast. Really? Yeah. Yeah. A minute would be chaos mode. Like you'd just be scrambling, and then you just, you would just have to apologize for the disheveled point. mess that you've left behind. Because you don't the need to play around of it, but I would like to just see what I can make in a minute. Then. 
Yeah, like we the, can do that after. Because it's easy to forget the stress of like trying to stack the cards, and every time any card slightly moves, it jostles all of the cards at once. And you're See, like, oh, mm -hmm. fuck. I don't use that strategy though. That's kind of a thing. You all have you all do this thing where you like build the character by like stacking them and like overlapping yeah. them and stuff. Because you can use cards could... to crop other cards. Basically, mm -hmm. yeah. My my strategy is I usually um uh try to make an object or like a scene that's very relevant to that character without it trying to literally be that character, which is um oh, it's a little bit non-representational concepts. Who would ever try that? Some kind of unhinged person. Adding add it making a scene, adding things unrelated to the original character. So you know you get you get shamed for that, you, you know. You basically have the same strategy as Keith. <laughs> oh. I I see. Well I mean I just saw Wonder Woman and just assumed that was I leapt to a harmful assumption that that's the way that it always was with you. So you have my deepest and oh, sincerest did, apologies. Did you see his Harry Potter? No. Oh, oh my god. god. That was a crime scene. <laughs> So for context, the Harry Potter that he drew, the only way I was able, I was the one who got that card or won that round. The only way I was able to tell that it was Harry Potter was because he drew, he, he created like a stick figure that was all like in black and then had like a little brown <laughs> sliver sticking out of it. And then on the side, he, he drew a, a lightning bolt with skin color. <laughs> And I just looked at you it know, and was like, I would probably have gotten no that. way. Yeah. That's so but, obvious. To I me. just, I drew yeah. a little wizard <laughs> man and I'm like, this is too ambiguous, even though he's holding a wand that could be a staff. Who knows? No so one knew I made, it was a wand. I made, I'm, yeah, well, it was hard. So I made a flag out of Gryffindor colors and then I made a, f a fucking oh, yeah, flesh so we lightning like, bolt. Is this like Spain? Is this Germany? Like what's <laughs> we happening? We all thought it was like Okay, Spain that would be a little first. bit much. Like between the, the wizard man and the, and the Gryffindor colors and the lightning bolt, I'm like, someone will get this. And to my credit, every unhinged nightmare I made was gotten pretty quickly. <laughs> I didn't I actually... Made, uh, I never I had Master to read Chief. out the last clue of a card or anything and be yeah. like, oh man, I hope someone gets it. I made Master Chief and I was really proud of that one because I included a health bar and nice. I included uh, pew pews. So here's my thing. Whenever I make a video game character with a gun, if they have like an like a sticky out part and then like a bunch of like little lemons or whatever, like <laughs> extending from it in the straight line, that's the pew pew. That's how you know, oh, this is Samus or Master Chief or Mr. Contra. Or whatever, like <laughs> Mr. Doctor the Contra Esquire. <laughs> Please, that, that's his father's name. It's just no, Contra he, among friends. Just Contra. <laughs> Mr. Contra uh, is my father's name. We should play. We should play Pantone with over over the tabletop game, simulator. Tabletop. Oh simulator man! But imagine the physics. Work. Oh, God. it'll be fine. It'll be easier than Sliding the physics of the around. real game because they're probably yeah, basically they're probably just turned off basically. And we can have Colonel play with us. The thing is, we played with a fresh... Uh, earlier today, Ladybird and I played with a fresh Pantone set. And when the cards are new, they are so fucking slippery and slick. It's yeah. like oily. When we played the PAX one, they were like bent and like grippable. <laughs> <laughs> Which one's better? Behaved. Uh, I don't know. I like, I like the fresh, bold... Colors of a new Fresh, set. bold flavor. Yeah. yeah, they're so vibrant and 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 youthful.
Mm. But now the cursed Elmo thing I was being called out for is that I tried to draw Elmo's entire head. Like, like I, I can't oh. represent Elmo as a concept because he's just red all the way down. So I'll try to draw his face. I'll just try to make like eyes and a mouth. But you quickly run into the problem that you only have four of every color. So there's no way to make enough red to fill in the face. So I panicked and added background elements. So I added. Oh, no. uh, <laughs> so what I did is in one corner I added a little like Sesame Street like sign, which was just like, it was a it was a gray card sticking up, and then two green cards on top of it, one horizontal and one at like an angle to represent like the way that like the the a street sign looks like when you're looking up at it, and then. Further panicking, I'm like, okay, I'll take this, <laughs> I'll take this gray, and then I'll put a little blue in it or green or whatever. I had to like Google what the character looked like again to be sure, because I made a little Oscar the Grouch uh, 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 peeking out of a trash can <laughs> to just try to like. At first, I, I just tried to create Oops. the scene. I just had to look up what color Oscar was because I wasn't sure. I'm like, I'm, I can read blue, right? And then no, I took all the he's green. And I took sure all the nightmare blue. yellow I could, and I, re I recreated Big Bird. I'm like, you need to understand that this is Sesame Street. There, there he, are only three Big lights. Big Bird is blue, and he's, and he's blue. Big Bird's hmm? blue. There are only three lights, and he's blue. If there are four lights. <laughs> I'm just gaslighting Big Bird right now. We're just this is what we do. I gaslight her, and she uh, tells me to fuck off. In so many words. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the I podcast on it. She doesn't fall for it at all. So <laughs> really that's what quickly, makes it funny. If I gaslight her and it wasn't funny, then I would then that would suck. That would be shitty behavior. Yeah. Instead, so. I gaslight her about like how many eggs we have and stuff. <laughs> so um, should we really quickly just go over the panels we went to on Saturday because there is there were two yeah. pretty good ones I think. Right, Game Fortress Two. That's, yeah, we that, just saying that's just the impact that Pantone had on us. We played it on like the last day and we all enjoyed it so much that we're jumping the gun and talking about it on Friday night. Excuse yeah. me, we, yeah. we played it multiple days. We, we played it multiple days. <laughs> oh, yeah. you got more Pantone than I did. Fucking great game. But, anyway, Saturday yeah. panels. <clears throat> uh, so, yeah, we started the day going to the Team Fortress 2 voice actors panel, which Given Bird's description of the uh, panel, the voice actor panel the day before, it kind of sounds like it's mostly the same, but uh, it was it it was different though the first half. But yeah, they uh, it, that was just Valve voice actors. It was the voice of the sniper, the voice of uh, the medic, Robin Atkin Downs, obviously Glados and whatever Manco Mom Patrick. or whatever her name oh. is, yeah. um, and then. What was it? Sniper and Heavy? Were those the four yeah, yeah. people? Yeah, and Demo Man. I think so. Demo Man yeah. was oh, there. Demo because Man, yeah. the Heavy and the Demo Man are the same person. The yeah. the spy was supposed to make it, but he couldn't. Uh, something happened, if I remember Which I, right. I pointed out being really conspicuous was the fact <laughs> that they were all talking about how sad they were that the spy couldn't be there. And they were sad about but the guy the who scout. And they were sad about the uh, the soldier who was dead. And no one mentioned the scout whatsoever. She's sussy, dude. The scout's a bit of a sus guy. He's a weird one. He has a YouTube channel. You can go watch it and be a little bit uncomfortable. I, knew, I know so little about TF2 or any of these people and was just kind of along for the ride. So immediately Damn. I picked up on like, there's something wrong here. It's <laughs> very yeah, conspicuous. Was... Uh, like there's no mention of the scout and no mention of the engineer. Hmm. Uh, I don't think the engineer is a big part of the community. That's all. 
the scout yeah, he's sort of is, but the engineer the just kind of took the paycheck and you know did his plan. stuff. Um. So, do we have too much more we want to talk about before we talk about the the big panel that unfortunately, uh, Bird, I don't think you got to go to. Well, uh, yeah, that that, that panel, the the TF two panel was great for two reasons. One, um, they haven't been able to get um the voice of the medic this, yeah. on the panel with them for years because of just conflicting scheduling stuff and stuff like that he's always the working same, yeah the same thing with the oh yeah he's prolific literally the same thing everything. with the with the spy uh who unfortunately wasn't able to make it but like they were really stoked that they were going to get him on there as well um and so that's kind of pretty significant because i've seen that was the first time i saw the medic and i've seen the other people many many times um, so that was a blast. Uh, very God, he's very energetic. The medic, he was really fun. Mm-hmm. Never remembered to wear his mask, so the fucking enforcers had to keep being like, the mask," like from the sidelines, like <laughs> gesticulating yeah. wildly and stuff. Uh, and the other thing that was special about that panel was they, they, um, the medic wrote a script. That was a parody of the Three Little Pigs, and all the characters were TF2 characters, and they retold the story, uh, in in those characters, uh, and it was, it was super poorly written. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it was trash. But damn, but they well performed acted. it. They performed it so well. It was so fun, uh, and that was like the first half of the panel. After that, it was generic Q and A panel. But that was just a blast. That was that was a highlight panel for me. Mm-hmm. Go to the voice yeah. actor panels. Okay. Big panel um, today. What was it? Yeah, that's like? well, there is one more voice actor panel, but it's the next day. Um the the last panel that at least I went to on Saturday was the Doki Doki Literature Club panel. QA with David Gator, writer of Kotor Dragon Age and Stray Gods. Oh, I thought that was the next day. Saturday, 3 p.m., okay. 2 p.m. Well, then we'll talk about we'll talk about that one, too. Uh, so the Baldur's Gate. Um, <laughs> that was such, like panel. I have it on my screen. And I'm like, I say it with me now. And then he said something completely different. Oh, <laughs> I, just, oh. I in my head, the Baldur's Gate panel was on Sunday. Um, hmm. So Baldur's Gate panel. We had the, the writer, um, the writer of Baldur's Gate, Baldur's Gate 2. That's um, like Chris Avalon, is it? No, no. Gator. I mean, he oh. also helped write, I think, some. Yeah, but he's, of the he's games, but... persona non grata, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but this guy, uh, I can't remember his name. It was just in my head, slipped out. But um, he he also wrote part of Dragon Age. Um, gotcha. Tons of different Bioware games over the years. And it was a surprisingly candid panel about like what it's like to write games that are extraordinarily meaningful to people that he basically wrote for the paycheck as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. So the example that he used was um, he talked a lot about the villain of Baldur's Gate 2 and how, um, for example, people would be like, oh, his backstory is so tragic and interesting and it makes it like a really compelling experience for players. Um, But like for years after he wrote that game, people would talk to him about it and he'd be like, what are you talking about? I don't remember this at all because I wrote it in like two hours one day because we had scrapped a super long quest and needed to just fill content in for this this main villain in this game uh, because half of the other content that we had in place was gone at the last minute. 
Um, and so it was just like this really interesting and insightful look at um, how game writing is not nearly as planned and not nearly as uh, meticulous, at least oh, back yeah. in the day, as a lot of people um, seem to think it is. Um, especially for for companies and and developers that are known for stories, um, yeah. He he kind of talked a lot about how you know it's not like it's not like it's just a bunch of people who are like perfectly bona fide and like have incredible uh, resumes and and a ton of experience. A lot of it was just like yeah, this developer had like a cool idea and he wrote it in an afternoon or like we canned a, canned a storyline really late into the development progress and I just needed to make something up in three hours, so I did, um, which is just fascinating. It's just a yes. really interesting look, especially at um, the differential between how normal people, normal people, regular players, average mm. players, think of a video game story, especially ones that impact them versus how the creators of those stories actually came up with them that's um, still so. i would i would argue that's probably still the norm definitely that they do not that um but from very specific indie niches yeah 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 and i mean it's fine it works you know you don't need De to integrate it that tightly very definitely. interesting hearing the guy talk about just just workhorse writing basically and how it wasn't even yeah. his go-to oh, like he, he, he didn't even want he didn't even want to be a writer like he like yeah. fell backwards into being a writer because he lost his other job and was like all right well i'll follow up on this and it's like then he went on to write uh all of the games that got me into rpgs in the first place and the first like gay character i've seen in a video game and so yeah. on like a bunch of like important memories in my life and he's <laughs> i mean i'm seeing this this old dude that i've never heard of before because i didn't even really know about him specifically and he's just describing the behind the scenes of stuff i didn't even know to think about it's yeah. also worth noting that writing is usually done very early in the process and the writers often have finished all the work that they needed to do yeah maybe halfway through the development cycle and then they just bounce well you what know? he was talking Writers about rarely stick on through the entire development yeah cycle. well what he talked about with this specifically was like he had written out a bunch of different stories a bunch of different characters and a bunch of different quest lines and then like was basically done with his job for months yeah. and then like late in development they're like oh actually we like cut half these quests can you write yep a ton of new stuff in two weeks and he was like uh yeah, yeah. i guess so because i need a paycheck <laughs> and they were like this, so, this villain's kind of boring like can you just like add something for them? He's like yeah sure whatever and he just like gives him a backstory yeah. in like an afternoon real quick and moves on with his life and it's like the iconic writing, thing for people <laughs> yeah not to denigrate it at all but like writing is one of the things that is by far the easiest to integrate and iterate on in the entire yeah. development process for a video game so that's especially in an old also school RPG. It takes the least amount of time. Um just because every not and it takes a long time of course, but like everything else just takes that much longer to go through a production cycle on. So yeah. writers are often they're often pretty loosely integrated with the development cycle. They're kind of in and out. They do some contracts here and there. The mo the the only places we're going to get a lot of continuous work is if you got somebody who's like a lore master for like yep. an MMO and they're 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 for every cycle checking off like okay we have eight quests that are coming out in three months let me just like run through these and yeah free them and then get them going well that's like, what he talked about towards the end of the panel too was like yeah. nowadays there is a little bit of a difference where you know we we think when i say we i mean gamers in general have this weird kind of 
back retrospective look on old games of like, oh, games used to be really wordy and really story based, and now they're not. Um, mm-hmm. And you kind of mentioned like actually nowadays, like there are people paid to like consistency check stories and games and consistency yeah. check quests and and character work. Um, but back then it was mostly just making stuff up on the spot, which is yep. just really intriguing, like really interesting um, kind of expectation versus reality um, with uh, gamers and, and how they how separate and, they are from the reality of, of game design. A lot of writing, you know, if you have somebody who comes in, just lays down a really good lore Bible and then bounces, you yep. can honestly fake it. With like a, yeah. <laughs> a fairly ta- like a creative programmer who's just like shit. I need to fill out this quest. Like, I just need to kind of connect a couple of shit. Well, that's what he kind of said, and then they could he do said that. that. As somebody who replays old school RPGs relatively frequently, I must say that it's um, it's pretty obvious that the things were yeah. done. Like that <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, situations. yeah. And I always, th- I was partic- like growing up, I thought I run. Um, Irenicus, the John Irenicus, uh, yep. that's the villain of the Gate 2. I thought he was uh, an interesting character, but uh, the last couple of times I went back and played Gate 2, he is as as bare bones as it gets, and it's very <laughs> cliche, actually. Yeah, uh, well, he I- was talking about that, too. He was like, it's kind of interesting because you have all these players who think, um, you know, you spend years and years, like, perfecting this character and writing it. Um, in in actuality, like the character only shows up a few times in the game and only has like he has like a really limited amount of dialogue compared to other characters. Players bring a lot that to you the don't table. Notice that. Yeah. Oh yeah, and project onto stuff a lot and so on. I liked him talking about voice actors and like the just the <laughs> yeah. mess that it is, which is that like during the Xbox era and earlier, like the Baldur's Gate era and so on, uh, they would just write a character and then give a little blurb about what they're like a little bit. And then just some third party would handle literally the entire process of getting the voice actors and, and casting and this is funny. and oh, yeah. so on. No and so like there, this goes in both directions where like on one hand, he's like, why is everybody like HK 47 so much? He's like such a nothing, whatever character. Like, like he didn't put that much work into this guy and he was just kind of having some fun with him and then moved on. It was like somebody, someone he wrote really quickly as a joke almost. But the voice actor did such a good job on such a specific deadpan and everything that it, he essentially created the character uh, yeah. as mm-hmm. a result. But on the opposite end, like I think it was like Baldur's Gate 2 or something, they had like some dark elf character. And the voice actor that received the lines didn't understand the idea of a dark elf. And so yeah. he voiced him like a Keebler elf or something. And then like, yeah, they just deleted <laughs> the whole character. They're just like, oh, That's fuck, glorious. we can't yeah. say we can't save this. So they literally just deleted an entire character and all of his lines and his entire story context from the game and just moved on. And I think he was yeah. a companion or something. He, was, like... he wasn't he was supposed to be like one of Viconia's like storyline characters, like yeah. a, like a secondary drow that you would meet in Baldur's Gate. And he was like, yeah, no, we can't work with this because. We got all the voice lines back, and it literally was like, "How dare you go to the Underdark?" Uh, ah, nice. When like you know the the <laughs> Drow are actually supposed to be like moody goth elves. Yeah, yeah. Then so. you get to more modern games like Dragon Age, and by then the the writers and voice actors work together a bit, and they have the voice actress in for Morrigan, who is fantastic in all of the Dragon Age games. But he mentions Helena Bottom Carter. 
despite <laughs> the warning that you're not supposed to mention another actor or compare people to other actors. So she's no, just continually yeah. roasting him. For like, do I need to do it more like Helena? <laughs> like, oh, whenever no. she has lines, like, she's just, just devastating him for that one slip up for the entire process of recording this character. And you, if they're a voice actor or voice actress, comparing them to a celebrity is like so shitty. Unintentionally, <laughs> I'm sure in his case, but like, that's a big thing that voice actors hate yeah. is like how they're getting stepped on by celebrity cameos. I, effectively. I also just appreciate that he said exactly what I was hoping to hear from especially like the Bioware writer and so on. And someone who's at the core of so much really stupid controversy, especially with Inquisition coming mm -hmm. out during Gamergate and so on. There's this constant... <laughs> topic in gaming that like some sort of corporate mandate requires people to have diversity and lgbt and women and so on in their games and it's like and i'm like it's always it's always been so on its face absurd to me yeah. but just but just, that happens but like his yeah. answer was just so good that like as a writer you want as many things to play with as possible and you know as many tools on your tool belt to work with like you want this mm -hmm. big diverse cast like and it's really obvious because you look at like mass effect and it's like in a context where everybody's an alien or whatever look wow an incredibly suspiciously diverse ship of aliens that can all tell you about the different cultures of the setting so they're seamlessly integrated it's yeah. like of course you want a wildly diverse cast that just gives you things to write about well, like yeah, one of the things that really struck me with that is that he literally said, like, you know, we've spent years <laughs> writing the same characters. So after uh -huh. a while without diversity, it literally is boring. Not mm -hmm. in the not in the, you know, philosophical like, oh, we only get representation of one kind, but in the very pragmatic writing sense of like. God, I'm so sick of writing this character. Let me write <laughs> us, anything else, please. Let us pivot into this is a perfect segue into another panel that Ladybird and I went to, which was the neurodivergent gamer perspective on inclusion and design. Oh, yes. Fucking great panel. Um, I want you to talk about it, Ladybird, but I'll just say that. Uh, just to contrast something I said earlier, where I was saying like psychological panels and stuff like that are rarely good. This one's a huge exception because everybody who was on this panel was either like a YouTuber or a streamer who is neurodivergent or they're a developer in the video game industry who is neurodivergent. So it wasn't a psychiatrist first who then integrates games. They're like somebody who is already like an entertainer um, and they're, in this space and they're giving their experiences really great panel so. i thought this panel also had um a couple of doctors but they are neurodivergent yes yeah right and but the bulk of the panel was like i mean the main star was the was um jessica mm -hmm. mccabe yeah uh she runs how do we adhd which is i mean just a glorious channel if you have adhd even if you don't like I like I find a lot of tips in her videos that are just really helpful for me as well, even just with anxiety. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, highly recommend if uh, you haven't checked out her stuff yet. But yeah, she was there as well. And it was just I don't know, for me, it felt very affirming to hear that, like, there were times when, you know, like Jessica would like not be able to finish a tutorial because like she couldn't figure out what some symbols meant 
on the screen and you know things yeah that... like missing one clue yeah completely being able to destroy her playthrough <laughs> right and how like you know like it made her feel like something was wrong with her like she's dumb for not being able to figure it out and stuff but like i've had that happen to me mm -hmm. you know because i like i like playing games but i watch them more often than i play and so if like i do miss things that are like oh like such and such symbols are used for this purpose or whatever you know and if that becomes more standardized like i'm not gonna know that you know and i feel like a lot of times i like one of the things I miss about old video games is that they came with a manual that showed all of the controls and like, this is how you jump. This is how you run. This is how you pick up things, you know? And like, it's frustrating for me when new games don't have that, you know? Um, Cause the thing about a manual is you can always go back to it when you forget. Exactly. You can't do that with just like a one-time tutorial. Right. Coming back to a game, if you haven't done, done the tutorial in a long time, like sucks. Yeah. You know, you could try to open up help menus and things like that, but there's so much less care that's put into those resources than you got with an old school manual that like they're not really nearly as helpful. Mm -mm. Um, so that was that was a big part of it. And just they were really fun people through and through talking about their experiences, you know? This actually well, reminds me of an experience that we had in the past where I joined these guys for a game of Trouble in Terrorist Town. I'm sorry. Way that back was when. so bad. <laughs> and, like, this, the game had no explanation of the controls, really. It doesn't. And so... It turns out I was the terrorist in the very first round, and I had no <laughs> idea how to use my weapon at all. And you never so, played FPSs. I know. Right? Yeah. yeah. No, I don't. And so, like, I was just—I was literally just running around trying to button mash to like do anything, and nothing was working. Mm -hmm. Like, it was the weirdest experience. Because in TTT, you have to explicitly pull out your gun. Right. And, and you I, have to press a button to do that. <laughs> you have to yeah, press like V or, or something. Yeah, but like no, but like none of you guys told me the controls because you were just like, oh, what? Like nobody assumed I would be the terrorist right off the bat. And so it's just mm -hmm. like, oh, just run around like it's fine. I couldn't tell you. I wanted to. But like TTT is like, it's also a communication and hidden role game. So you can't ask questions. And then on top of it, uh, like that was during chaos time with like pocket pack and lost spider and like getting a word in edgewise was fucking impossible sometimes. You're the, yeah, you're the, yeah, you're the I'm MVP. Sorry. If you can, if anyone on the planet can ever win as the imposter of a game, they've never played. <laughs> oh, it's, it's like, you, there's just, there's so much knowledge involved in, in being in it, being able to lie. So the idea that you're just the yeah. imposter and you're like, literally are like, how do I quietly test what the buttons do? Like, you're so fucked. Mm -hmm. You're so fucked. Even if you yeah, had to play like, games, like, in shooters and so on. It, yeah, like, it just, it didn't work out, you know? And so, it, like, being at this panel, it kind of, like, helped me feel more validated, too, you know? Of, like, oh, like, it, like, I'm not just, like, clueless or dumb. Like, there are things that can be done to give, like for me to have a better experience gaming overall. Mm -hmm. 
One of the things that uh, kind of piggybacking off of what you said about video game manuals too is it's it's interesting back in the day um, moving away from things like having huge manuals was seen as like a win for accessibility because you don't mm -hmm. need to have uh, a 200 page Neverwinter Nights book to teach someone how to play D&D &D so they can play the game anymore. Um, but nowadays manuals and like reference materials are now actually seen as very, very important accessibility tools because there are now people saying like, actually, no, I do need something to reference. You know, even if it's not required to play the game, it's meaningful, uh, you know, afterward when I'm trying to learn things or, or you know, reference things. So yeah, that's something that that is like one of those little pieces of accessibility that a lot of people don't think about um, that this panel kind of seemingly touched on uh, in a really interesting way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I funnily enough, like at some, I don't remember which day it was at PAX, but I did end up trying out Rift of the Necrodancer. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I've just heard like very good things Expo about that game. Huh? I've heard very good things about that game. Yeah. Um, and that was, I think that was after, sometime after this panel, if I remember correctly. I think it was the next day, because... We got so little expo hall time, <laughs> but yeah. that was that. I think on Saturday, on Sunday, I was like, "We're doing the expo hall." <laughs> yeah, but yeah. So you did try Rift of the Necrodancer. Yeah, I did try it, and that again also kind of reminded me of this panel because it felt like, like it was just like, oh, okay, like keep an eye on the monsters because they might do different things. Ooh, and then like so for a while it was fine, and then all of a sudden like there's one particular monster color that you have to hit twice in a row. Mm -hmm. But like, mm -hmm. there's no indication of that. No. And you know what I mean? Like, it was just so weird. And then... It's, it's part of the camp of tutorial design where you get presented with the bad thing first, and then you get presented with the way to overcome it second. And it's very effective tutorial design but it's also very annoying <laughs> see it's, i didn't think it was effective i had to replay the round so many times to figure that out yeah and it felt like such a waste of time it's like like you could have just had a little blurb saying that this one needs to be hit twice because they're stronger or something like why yeah i don't get it well what they should have done is you should have had the surprise of like trying to kill it and then it hits you anyway and then she stops and says like, oh, this one needs to get hit twice. And the thing is, the why, the why that's the case is that it's a throwback for fans. It's fan service, right? If you've played Crypt of the Necrodancer, then you know green enemies or blue enemies or whatever take two hits and mm -hmm. blue takes one. Uh, so they pop up in that game and it's like, oh, these are the ones that I have to twice. So for people who have played Crypt of the Necrodancer, like, da-ha! And for people who haven't, they Which didn't have do not. they didn't do a sufficient job of like actually explaining that yeah. well. It just threw it at you and you can figure it out. Um, but apparently only after it hits you in the face a million times. Yeah, because like there were lots of times where I lost the entire level just because all the blue ones started coming out and it's like perfect and then miss, perfect miss. And I was like, what the fuck is happening? Like I don't understand. Yeah. Like, it was super weird. And then the level right after that was, like, a yoga class. But, it like, I had no idea who I was controlling. Yeah. Or, like, what... Did like, they have it's headphones like, or I... something? They yeah. Did. yeah. Okay, because I'm like, I, can't, I cannot anything. imagine it's trying like to play a rhythm action game in a, on, a, on a conference hall. 
Oh, yeah, no, no, I, they did have headphones for sure. Yeah. I and, played one rhythm game at the hall that didn't have headphones though, and it was extraordinarily difficult. <laughs> oh mm-hmm. my god, I'm sure. Um, I mean, all that said, I actually really liked the game itself. And I, I don't, when does it come out? Do you guys remember? They don't have a date. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, because I do actually want to Tinder? get it. Oh. <laughs> um, that was funny. Wow. Yeah. You're just going to attack me like this. <laughs> yeah, so I do actually want to get the game, but that was also another reminder of like, oh, these are things that like are supposed to be well understood, I guess, by people, but like are not, by not people. obvious to me. Only, only Crypto the Necrodancer. <laughs> oh, no. Those things, yeah. Yeah, so. there might have been further hints, like it might have changed color or something to show a status no. change. But who knows? I it would be it. great if it's like you hit it once and it goes from green to blue, and yeah. then you hit it when it's blue. It didn't do that. Oh. No, that would be fantastic if it did that. Yeah, so like it, there were definitely things that, like, once I figured it out, it was great. But until then, like, it was definitely a little frustrating to like not understand why I was losing. I think yeah. by a little frustrating, you mean it was awful. <laughs> Literally bad game design. Unmake the game for me. <laughs> Were there any other cool insights from the neurodivergence panel? Um, what do you think? Like, I think that about covers it for me, just that it felt very relatable, even though I don't have ADHD. Mm-hmm. Um, but just as someone who is still neurodivergent, like it it was very validating of an experience. Um, no, nothing, nothing outside of that. From my perspective, I just, uh, I, I thought it was very interesting hearing how similar like experiences are between people with ADHD and people with autism. Cause we yeah. had people on the panel with like both. Um, and, and, you know, it's interesting how the term neurodivergent has sort of become like a label for that like subset of like yeah. mental health. Like it's very interesting like where that's been going. Um, but uh I I don't really have any particular thoughts on that right now. It's a huge topic. Um, but it was just very neat to uh to see that like on display there. Yeah, I'm sad that I, I missed it. Um, but at the same time, there was so much stuff going on. Yeah, uh, yeah. That made making every single panel like kind of difficult. Um, mm-hmm. And I guess that is the segue into the Do- Doki Doki Literature Club panel, right? We didn't see anything else in between those two. I don't we'll think check so. Sunday. I think we, like, so probably. Do well, Doki Doki Literature is, is Saturday night. Yeah, it's the so last thing we did is? on Saturday. Yep, we're still on yeah. Saturday. Oh, we didn't go. Yeah, you all went on Saturday. Yeah, night. I, so I, yeah, like I we got dinner for it. Yeah, we couldn't make it. Um, uh, so wait, that was, was unfortunate. Yeah, yeah Lady the... was there. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was the one where you got locked out. Yep, that's right. Because yeah. I was having dinner with Nick and Veronica, mm-hmm. which is my Seattle friends. But that was we a, a we had a pizza set down panel. for you. We're like, this is Bird's seat. We'll get it where he's gonna get he's gonna make it. And then they just <laughs> didn't sucked. let you in the door. I'm like, fuck, we have a seat for him. <laughs> yeah. It's a shame. But it was a really good panel. Um there there actually kind of isn't too much to say about it. Um it was really just Dan Salvato talking about like his history on the internet, 
uh, how he got people to play Doki Doki to begin with, how he came up with the idea and like kind of what some of his goals were for the characters. Um, but yeah, he kind of talked a little bit about visual novel history. He played Tsukihime. He fell in love with it, wanted to write a visual novel. Um, at that time, he was mostly working on mods and uh, Smash community stuff for Melee. Um, started writing a game, then like a year and a half into making it, I guess, uh, decided I actually have a better idea, but it's only, you know, it's only enough for like a small short scene or two. Uh, and then ended up just running with that idea until Doki Doki Literature Club became a thing. And he disseminated it across all of like the smashers that he knew and a bunch of different other, you know, like YouTube and Twitch streamers. And, uh, it kind of was just like a whirlwind, um, but the, the thing I wanted to talk about with that panel really specifically is that Dan Salvato is a really interesting guy. Um, he does not talk uh, or present information like you would assume a very, uh, you know, like successful game designer running a panel would. He very much is just a normal person. Um, and it was really insightful to see, like, the creator of this incredibly successful viral game uh, talking about his game just sounds like a dude, like who is not deeply prepared to discuss this stuff, uh, kind of just stream of consciousness uh, at a table like you'd hear on a podcast or something like that. So that was a really great panel. I think it was one of my favorite of the con, despite being relatively low production value compared to the rest of the panels we had gone to. I liked him. He was far away. <laughs> it was a yes, very he was long, very far away from us. <laughs> it's a very long room. I couldn't see him past heads. And there was a concert happening downstairs or something that was coming in through the walls and at some points was louder than him <laughs> but him talking him doing a post uh, a post mortem slash spoiler cast of a game i've never played made me really think a lot about making visual novels <laughs> like it did not leave my mind for days it was kind of like i just kept thinking about ideas and it kept making me want to write and i'm like no not another hobby stop don't please <laughs> don't need another project yeah. But also, I'm really... voice acting. That's my hobby. <laughs> right. I mean, voice. I could yeah. hit That's me awesome. up. I'll voice act your fucking video game. I don't give a. Sh It'll be bad, probably. I will. It would be I'll fun to it. voice like, act something. It's so fun. Yeah. If anyone it's wants really to fun. use my voice, message Keith. <laughs> okay. The what? issue is that when uh, uh Keith's his agent. I, f I feel ah. bad. That's. I think. I think one or two Keith people. Keith is has all of our agent. I think I have yeah. been asked like twice technically, but I just. I. I, you didn't reply to the emails, did you? I, I don't. I don't reply to like almost any emails. But it was just like yeah, I, that's fair. <laughs> I just, I'm just. I'm sorry if you're hearing this, but I'm just like, the game just looked really bad. <laughs> that's just a a certain but percentage how, of the. That's just the, how it is, though. Yeah, I know. I just like a percentage of the emails I get are like, just like solo project indie games that are not those incredible visionary projects you're going to be hearing about for years. They look. It's really, really bad. <laughs> they just like really awful. I'm like, I. Mm -hmm. I that's I'm the takeaway from the voice actor panels is that you yeah. just gotta do everything. Well, I don't, and that's I don't, how you break I'm in. I'm not trying to break into the voice acting industry. I'm just saying that being a voice in a game would be fun. But you know, like when I want to play. <laughs> I think what you're saying <laughs> is you would want to be a voice in a game that is good. I'm proud of people game. for making video games. It's just. There, a lot of the ones I get emails about, I would never want to touch. And I'm like, yeah, it's cool that you finished something, but <laughs> see you next project. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's more just, I think, like, just having that experience of like, okay, how can I make this 
probably very weird character into someone who's like relatable and yeah. feels real. And you that know, was such and, like an interesting aspect of the panel too, is him talking about how like he comes up with a character idea and then like really just like focuses on trying to make them. And then the big kind of uh, reward at the end was like seeing all of these random anime tropes like assembled into characters actually hit with uh -huh. people and be really mm -hmm. relatable and um, like affect people in really meaningful ways. Um, he And he talked a little bit about that in terms of like neurodivergence and like, you know, not to turn this into a Doki Doki spoiler cast, but like there's a lot of neurodivergence in the cast of uh, Doki Doki Literature Club. And he just, mm -hmm. um, you know, as a neurodivergent creator and in working with neurodivergent audiences, like it's it's really fulfilling to be able to take a really simple idea. And like he basically kind of said, like visual novel novels are like the purest form of indie game, because like really you just take an idea and a creator can like make it entirely by themselves or like representing themselves and then just spit it out there for the world to see and that's mm -hmm. like kind of how doki doki came to be and got really popular so it's like this cool convergence of all of these different uh factors that kind of play into each other of like being a marginalized creator trying to speak to a marginalized audience through a extraordinarily accessible but at the same time very very uh in-depth genre of fiction that people have a lot of uh expectations for uh and stuff like that so that was a really good panel just very enlightening all around i feel like everyone could have gotten something out of it yeah i did enjoy the panel i like my only gripe with it is i wish he would have put up i wish he would have created at least like a title slide on like powerpoint or something just it would like have been great to have a powerpoint <laughs> just to cycle through yeah. characters yeah. like or it something. was literally just him sitting at a mic like it that was with a us like a football field away from him in this <laughs> yeah. extraordinarily wrong that room wrong was room. so long i swore i could see the curvature of the earth <laughs> okay. oh sorry the, the next day we saw the uh, extra credits presents creators versus the algorithm and there were interesting people to hear from uh toaster said he learned a lot as a creator, I learned absolutely nothing. I was like, yep, this is definitely everything I'm very familiar with. So my primary takeaway was just the fact that the that Dan from Extra Credits wears nail polish or nail paint and so on. I'm like, look at that. And I was just kind of staring at that for a while. Yeah, to be fair. So that panel was like it was low spec gamer, Dan from Extra Credits, Princess Weeks and one other person who I can't remember. Zoo Tearzoo. Mm -hmm. Zoo yeah, Tearzoo. Yeah. I didn't That's know either of those people. I just knew Princess Weeks and Dan, and it was there for the entirely for the novelty of seeing them in person, <laughs> just mm -hmm. like with, and, with Mike with Mikey. Yeah, and it it wasn't it wasn't that that panel was like giving me a bunch of completely brand new information that had never crossed my mind before. Um, it was just really interesting seeing people that I very. Like I've followed for a very long time. Like I've been subbed to Extra Credits and um and Princess Weeks and and Low Spec Gamer for literally years at this point. Um and it was just really insightful to hear them be like, hey, we tried to do an experiment um mm -hmm. with the algorithm and it like played out this way. And then like in my head, I'm thinking back, like, oh yeah, I remember when their thumbnails changed and all of their title schemes changed randomly for two weeks. Mm -hmm. And then they yeah. went back. Like that's what this is referring to. That's how they they test it. So that was very interesting.
It's interesting, it's interesting to see how like little setup projects with like three people become like these like companies over time. Because yeah, like I was I was listening to extra credits or watching extra credits all the way back when they were an escapist show, like an eternity ago. Yeah. Like yeah, I, that's, that's that, like when I saw like the Skinner's box episode that that like informed a lot of thinking for a long time. Like that was in a shitty embed player on the escapist website that only worked sometimes. One of the most influential game design videos of all time. Yeah. <laughs> like that it's solely responsible for people who know what Skinner boxes are. It's it's very helpful. It's very helpful information. Mm. And especially early on, that show was like really consistently high impact because they had so much to cover because they were starting from scratch. I actually like kind of fell off of the show over time because there's just so many years of them trying to come up with topics. And I'm like, I feel like we, we've done a lot already. Like it's a long wait between topics that will like be informative particularly. Uh, and seeing princess weeks was there. It was interesting. And I don't, I don't, I don't know how you even get that set of people together or how, like how that, that panel was created. It was just a very random assortment of YouTubers essentially. It sounds like it. I have a event in 45 minutes. Uh, I need to rest before that, so I will be leaving. But all right, you'll be sticking. I'll around, hang out. Yeah, and uh, you could speak on my behalf. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, thankfully, uh, this was great to talk with you, Bird. Thanks so much. Thank you. Buster says thanks. Um. Oh. Uh, but... <laughs> <laughs> great. Thanks, Bird. <laughs> thanks. Uh, all oh, right. No. Well. <laughs> Uh, so that's, that's nice <laughs> <laughs> was it brian uh, said he went to a panel that was about how to save money on games and it was just really like a guy teaching people how to google things basically. it was yeah it was it was literally someone just being like make sure you check a green man gaming yeah <laughs> like, and i, I guess was like cheap ass gamer or something yeah, yeah it was it was a and cag it, panel and i guess yeah. bird and brian went to a podcast went to a panel about uh raspberry pies but they didn't have any because of the because huge of the global shortage, shortage. <laughs> like they, 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 they're so they're so out of Raspberry Pis that if you pre-order one now, it'll still take over a year to get one. So they won't have them next year either, basically. Uh, mm -hmm. And so that was just another like kind of a, a flat line where nothing really happened there. Yeah, because in the description, it didn't specify like it made it seem like you'd be able to buy a raspberry pi at the panel yeah and then like work on it but that just wasn't the case so then they're like oh well i guess we're just going back to board game area yeah i think day one ended with a, a fairly disappointing panel that was like make it queer you cowards which i was oh, expecting yeah. to be like that one uh like a breakdown or reassessment of famous video games from a queer lens or some other kind of thing or some kind of like i don't know mission statement or other kind of goal but it was very much just like a few people hanging out at a table and joking about like shipping some characters or making things yeah. gay and it was like incredibly uninteresting even as the target audience basically with like the the only, I think the, it, the funniest line of the entire night was was about uh, the man and his hammer from uh, Mountain Co-op. What's it called? <laughs> getting over getting it. Getting over it with getting Bennett Foddy. Getting over Foddy. it with, with Bennett Foddy. <laughs> Mountain Just like, because like, you, you were supposed to ship these characters and he's talking about, he's talking, they were talking about uh, the man in the cauldron and his hammer and just yeah, the Diogenes and his hammer. <laughs> yeah, just just the delivery of the line about like the hammer is not the tool for this job was just like 
the funniest comment the entire <laughs> night in what was supposed to be yeah. an hour long comedy thing. And it was just all right. It was like the worst improvised game show of all time. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, really, they were just like it was just a bunch of <laughs> for lack of a better word, like. A bunch of LGBT people making jokes with their LGBT friends about LGBT things, which is awesome, but very much not what the was panel. kind of described by yeah. the the panel description. Um, like, really, a lot of it was like, hey, give give me like two characters from games that you wouldn't expect to ship and then convince me of their ship. And it's like, that's fine, whatever. Um, yeah, there was just no texture you know, kind of to didn't it really, or meaning. To yeah, it. it didn't really amount to anything. Hmm. But um, yeah, it it, it wasn't a wasted time. It just kind of was awkward. The level of preparedness involved from panel to panel is so wildly varied that you you start wondering about the process through which panels are made and so on. It gets I I start thinking more about the background stuff than the thing I'm actually looking at at some point. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I mean, and it's interesting, too, because it's like it's this actually gets to something about packs that's been better these past few years is their you know, diversity in panels and, and panel givers has really greatly increased since the, uh, you know, early 2010s. But um, at the same time, it means you get some duds where it's like a bunch of people who are not prepared to host a panel uh, talking about something they're really passionate about, which is great, but not in a way that can kind of land with any sort of audience. Uh, so it is what it is. It was better than the Pokemon panel. <laughs> it was better than the Pokemon panel. It did get what a, a few laughs out of me. Yeah. Um, and then that brings Saturday. us to yeah, that brings us to Sunday. Um, oh, that Sunday. was on Sunday, I thought. Uh, that was I think that was Friday night. It's just that I couldn't, that one was Friday night. I think yeah. I couldn't find. I'm I'm scrolling down the schedule of panels, and I think it's just not here. <laughs> like it's just somehow not listed. So I just remembered it on a whim that it that it happened. It was a ghost. So I think ghost I str- I think I largely struck out on my first day where it was just movies with Mikey's and then garbage all day. Yeah. Aww. I'm trying to think. I think I only went to two panels on Sunday. Bloody Roar was, 2. Yeah. How we read so that was PS1 really game. fun. That was an awesome panel. So Kira Buckland and Casey Mongolo, um, I guess, are uh, really big into PlayStation 1 fighting games and very specifically Bloody Roar 2. Um, they're roommates, apparently. And I guess when the pandemic started, Casey Mongolo, the voice of Shinji in Netflix's Evangelion, um they said like hey i'm bored and i need a pandemic project while we're all like working from home uh i'm gonna play bloody roar 2 and then they did and they realized the english voice acting for that game is abysmal so they reverse engineered the game and created a patch where they took them and all of their voice actor friends and revoiced the entire game and then worked with members of the bloody roar 2 competitive community to get it like hosted online and and get it bug checked and stuff. And now there is a ROM out there floating around in an X Delta patch where you can patch in professional 2022 voice acting for a PS1 game and it will work on real hardware. And that is cool nice. as hell. Um, but yeah, yeah that panel was great. Disc. <laughs> it was it was really cool to see one voice actors be uh be normal people just like everyday internet people that you would find in a random discord server um but it was also cool because that's like a really awesome fan project and it and it speaks to uh 
the strength of like really specifically you know competitive fighting game communities who just are there there are people out there that are still repping for bloody roar 2 <laughs> bloody roar wasn't even a game that had like a super deep competitive scene when it was contemporary but nope they've got a whole discord server full of people who are willing to like the game and redub it like that's awesome listen um, i will always remember the furry game yes it is in fact the furry fighting game or even if the original one more i remember say. john talbane from darkstalkers yep exactly uh good old gallon but there's, um, there's all this granularity to it like how they had to make the the voice lines be exactly the same duration and file size as like, exactly the original what versions say, and so yeah. on so they could sub them so in without questioning them and he yeah so like casey talked about that he was like you have to um you you have to make the file sizes match perfectly, but you also have to make the runtimes match because like they couldn't edit the code. Um, they they couldn't change the game in any meaningful way because if they did, getting it running on actual hardware and like making bug checking and QAing and stuff, it would be a lot more difficult. So they like literally used those limitations to their advantage and would like redub and use blank padding and and you know stuff in order to like increase the quality of the files a little bit make things a little bit clearer um because they just obviously nowadays technology is so much better um that you can do more of that and still not mess with the game um in the way that like back then the technology just couldn't support which is really cool um i ended up playing a, a game against the community uh, like the discord community advocate there on stage which was really interesting um i got them to sign my hitbox um, which I used later that day to play in the Guilty Gear tournament. So um, that was all. That was real, really cool. That was a really great panel. Um, probably my favorite of the con. Um, if not the next one that we'll talk about, I'm sure. Got to have your. Uh, you, got to, you got to have your uh, your fight stick signed by who was it? Casey and Kira. Everyone, right? Yeah. It's like the vo like the voice actor from like Nier Automata and Pokemon yep. and so on. Was this yep. the same Kira, Shinji so voice voices... actor that was being mentioned by Bird earlier? Yes. Yep. Same one. So it was uh, Casey Moglo and Kira Buckland. Kira Buckland voices uh, 2B in Nier Automata. And um, Casey, aforementioned, voices Shinji and Netflix's dub of Evangelion. Um, so that's all really cool. That was a great panel. Um, very small. It was probably the least attended panel of the con that I went to, at least. Oh, yeah. Um, but that was an empty it was, room. It was so good, though. <laughs> Everybody yeah. who wanted to fight these voice actors in this video game basically got to. Yeah, like they were mm -hmm. they basically started the panel saying like, hey, we're going to bring a few people up to the stage and then like give them, you know, signed photographs and stuff um autographs or whatever uh but then by the end like basically everyone just got up because there were only like 20 people in the room so it was just kind of this rotating like hut seat hut swap uh yeah. game of bloody roar 2 with people who are uh now you know technically the voices of those characters which is really sick there was some disrespect right. happening <laughs> the people who got up could not generally figure out how to play the game because its controls were strange so there was like little yeah there, there was like an ex you can I mean, see I... how much the people that were trying that were that were on the panel were playing were toying with the people that came up yeah i mean like i i'm good at fighting games you know not all fighting game skills transfer to other fighting games but i'm pretty good at them i've been playing them pretty much my whole life competitively but 
boy, Bloody Roar 2's controls are extraordinarily weird, especially if you're familiar with 2D and 3D fighters. That game is odd. Um, but no, they were actually legitimately good at it. They were all styling on each other. Um, you know, the, the community advocate guy was really excellent. Um, and I think there was another member of the Discord community that actually went to that panel and played against him. So we did get to see some cool, like, high-level Bloody Roar 2 matches, uh, which I was <laughs> not expecting. Um, but yeah, that was a good time. I, I think that panel was probably the highest quality in terms of, like, I don't know, like bang for your buck, I guess, uh, at the con because it was so intimate um, and just like literally felt like we were just hanging out with like some inexplicably famous people um, who just like happened to be hosting like a little tournament for this game that they liked. So. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Trying to think what else we did on Sunday. We got a little bit more expo floor time. I played the Pinocchio Soulsborne Lives of Lies of P. The game was all right. Um, <laughs> Seems weird. Wow, there's it's so many very, Pinocchio very games this year, or yeah, movies there were, and games. Is it like the the exp- expiration of the rights or something? Like, what's happening? I think I think Pinocchio's been uh, royalty free for quite some time. Yeah, um, that's why I'm confused. I'm like, what? Because there's also the was it the Guillermo del Toro movie and so on. Yeah, um, there's there was quite a few Pinocchio uh, marketing things going on at the con. Um, but this is but a yeah, Bloodborne so played... game about hot Pinocchio. <laughs> literally (laughs) timothy chalamet's emo pinocchio um (laughs) like standing up for pinocchio rights and stuff it's very weird um i played it it's okay it has a interesting combat system so the game feels like bloodborne in terms of its like linearity like you can't really you don't have a lot of mobility um but you do have a grappling hook like in sekiro so imagine a less mobile sekiro with the stylings of bloodborne starring timothy chalamet as pinocchio and you have a pretty good idea of what lies of p is like um it plays very heavy um it's a really slow like it looks like it should be faster than it is but it is surprisingly laborious to do anything um i couldn't tell if it was just input lag because playing on crappy hardware on the show floor or whatever but um there is a considerable amount of delay um for any action so it really does feel um, a little bit more traditionally Soulsborne than I feel like a lot of Souls-likes feel. So that was a pro and a con, depending on how you feel. Um, I'm more interested in that game than I was before I played it, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Lies of P, what a trip. Probably the weirdest game I played at the the whole con. I played zero games, except the classic uh nintendo classic is not the right word one of them was a current <laughs> most current generation in nintendo games uh because no, i guess i, I, pre- I, I, I was i did have a lot of fun with war though that was a, that was an experience yeah which, war is a very strange arcade game where they hook up three separate uh they hook up three cabinets to each other in a triangular formation so you can't see each other's screens and they're and it's not even immediately apparent what's going on but because like when you first start playing it you're just playing like a co-op campaign essentially and the way the controls of the game work is that it's a third person shooter and when you come up to this console the the the, the cab the arcade controls are essentially a WASD of buttons on your left hand and your right hand is a flight stick. And so it's completely baffling at first glance. But once you start pressing buttons, you realize, oh, 
this is modern dual stick first person shooter aiming that we've had ever since Halo, where the left hand is is move forward, move backwards, and strafe, and your right hand is aiming. And the and the look inversion is in, is inverted by default, but the game looks like a Nintendo sixty four game. Like it looks incredibly ancient. So I'm I was completely and utterly shocked that it had almost almost entirely modern controls, despite how incredibly old the game was. And what was funny is that like while I'm playing, uh, it's like you 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 see co op partners spawn in while you're fighting like robots and shooting turrets and whatever and moving forward to this little level. But once you hit three players, suddenly it just aborts the co-op campaign and turns into an arena shooter between the three of you. And you start actually having a, a death match where you run around and pick up weapons and shoot each other and so on. Uh, while I'm playing this, I am just fucking popping off. Like I'm getting like, it's like, like, like a 12 to 1 kill death ratio. <laughs> like I'm just flattening these other players. And uh, I was one of those players. <laughs> did you play it at one point? <laughs> Yeah, you wrecked me. <laughs> and Brian walks around. He's just talking about how, like, everyone else playing this game is complaining about how horrible the controls are and how unplayable it is. And I'm just completely instantly, like, in the flow state of this game I've never played before. Like, I'm 100% ready. The only things holding me back is the fact that... Uh, Having a flight stick and so on is very difficult when you are six feet tall and the game and, and and like arcade cabinets are made for like children to be able to reach them. So like I needed a chair to sit down in to be lower so I would be like my arm would be level with the uh, the flight stick. But like it was shockingly playable for, like for an old shooter. Like it was one hundred percent better, like more playable than like. Goldeneye and Perfect Dark and stuff like that that you would have pro that probably came out around a similar time, uh, yeah. And it, and it was like and it was via this like incredibly hacked together thing where like they saw the future and somehow were ready for the idea of Halo shooter controls, but they had to use like whatever spare parts someone had in their garage, you know, by which I mean like ex <laughs> existing cabinet devices. So you have like four face buttons from a fighting game and a fucking like flight stick from virtual on because those are parts that already exist for arcade yeah. games and that's how the game's playable it was so completely so, baffling if people want to look up this game um it i can't remember the exact name of it um because it, it was called war, war but it had assault. It, final assault that's what it was um i just looked it that up. was a really interesting interesting game um the one thing I'll say is that um, it was, let's see, it came out in 1999. Um, so it definitely definitely does post date GoldenEye and Perfect Dark, I think. Perfect Dark was what? I think it was 1998. I could be wrong. Um, but those games also did have dual stick controls. Oh, Perfect Dark was 2000. Yeah, um, there was the C button strafing. It was like. Yeah, or you could hook up two controllers at the same time and use them both. Yeah. Um, which is weird. And then I know Medal of Honor also had had those, you know, modern controls. But as far as the timeline goes, like this is probably one of the earlier. Standard controller peripheral takes on on what we know as our modern uh, FPS control scheme. So like that was pretty interesting as like a piece of history. Um, 
but yeah like old it enough was that like the pan you can see on the panel it's like explaining that left and right is how you strafe and so on yeah like it has not to explain turn. its controls on like on the actual thing it was really it was like the most cursed n64 port of unreal tournament that like, you could ever play <laughs> it's like so strange uh you know but definitely interesting um i I definitely see why it was like the biggest game in in the arcade room. Um, but to be fair, the arcade free play also was incredibly cursed and like half the arcade machines were broken. Um, so at least by the time we got to it. But on that one, the only thing that was broken was me. Yeah. Oh, great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so OP. Uh, I have to win it. I guess. Yeah. Well, uh, speaking of winning at something, uh, we should talk. <laughs> we should talk about the rest of my day spent there. Uh, just really quickly, we don't need to get super deeply into it. But um, I was at PAX, obviously, to see everyone and go to the show floor. But I heard there was a Guilty Gear tournament, and I play Guilty Gear Strive competitively, and I was really excited. Uh, top five hundred. You got to the heavens place. I I did. I am a, I am a ranked, ranked player at least online. Um, so if you're in heaven, you can fight me. But um, regardless, went to this tournament, thought it was going to be great. Obviously, the issues with the console free play uh, section, not having the updated version of the game that the tournament was going to be played at, combined with the fact that the tournament didn't have DLC characters, um, I was set up for a pretty scuffed competitive experience. Um, There were, I think, about 80 people that entered, maybe, maybe 100 tops. Um, and because of that, they ran the entire tournament. Once again, most recent patch, no DLC characters. So half the characters were missing from the game. Uh, best of one, which is <laughs> insane as a competitive format, for uh, for, which yeah. for those yeah. unclear, that's, that's one round of best of three. Yeah. Where so it it's like, be like several rounds of best of three over and over again until like somebody wins like five matches or something. Yeah, yeah. So it would be basically uh, normally you play two rounds per game or three rounds per game, depending on like if it's a tie or whatever, best of three. And then you would do that best of three. So a grand possible amount of uh, nine, nine rounds uh, brought down to two. So that was (laughs) extraordinarily weird. Um, It basically threw the game up to chance. Strive especially uh, is a very high damage fighting game. most rounds are determined in like two to three interactions at a high level um it doesn't quite have touch of death so like you know most characters can't be killed off of a single hit but um you're if you get comboed really well once you are in danger um and so playing an extremely volatile uh fighting game that's very high damage by fighting game standards best of one (laughs) in a extraordinarily weird uh tournament rule set kind of made that not great however i did finish 24th so not bad top four uh, top four or 25th percentile i guess you so got to win one I, match on the big screen i did you played, a ma- you played a match that was being hosted on like the screen that people could watch and i filmed that part at least yeah i Otherwise, think i was the was first person to play on screen yeah it was not a great uh, tournament experience, but it was fun, um, and it was a good way to kill time before the maybe the best panel at the con. Are we going to call it that? Yeah, um, and while you were playing this, uh, I was over at the Doodle Party panel, which was right before the one that um, that was probably the best one <laughs> ever. 
Yeah, I think we'll all agree on that. Yeah. Um, and that one was, uh, it was just Faye Mata. She was there. Um, and then she, or she worked with like the PAX people to provide a bunch of paper and markers and colored pencils and things. And then people just doodled for what, like an hour or something. It was great. Sounds fun. Yeah. Much more relaxing than trying to win this fucked up <laughs> non-standard <laughs> tournament rule set for a game I care too much about. There was people yeah. who were up who won a round and were up for more rounds and just walked away and never came back. Like yeah. they were just yeah. out like nope. And like I would not I don't know how you even competed. Like I would not have been able to take part in a in a competition where like some random announcer is just like calling out who should go to the next like go to the next console uh, like oh these two people go to this terminal like just loud booming yeah. basically a megaphone in your ear while you're in the middle of trying to play a match like i would be losing my mind i was i was on the station right next to the commentator's booth too so it was directly in my ear yeah. this dude just yelling but i mean it was fine i did i did all right i won my one round and then made it into top 64 so that was cool yeah. And then it's a, it it's a bummer because like, like tournaments are just like this fun spectator thing in my head. But so many of the all the tournaments that I've ever managed to actually be around are like this incredibly private thing just between the two people that are actually having the match and no one ever gets to actually see what's happening. And then like <laughs> it's just a bunch of quiet people in a room, basically. Yeah, I mean, bigger tournaments are going to be better than that, um, <laughs> obviously. But the Strive tournament at PAX, uh, make make no assumption that it, it was meaningful at all. So um, it is what it is, but it was a good time. Um, and then I guess other than that, that um, drawing panel, we, we only have one more panel to talk about, and it's the <laughs> recomposing Mario music on the fly panel, which was... A extraordinarily amazing. amazing hidden delight. Uh, Keith, you want to talk about this one? <laughs> it was a little false advertising in that I thought they were going to like remix or redo the Mario theme on some level, which they really didn't. But basically they took uh they took like footage of like somebody playing through Mario 1-1, and then they gave these four people, which were like like it was like two like more like it's like two digital music composers and one guy that just has a huge amount of instruments in his room and i think he's like a youtuber or something that like just like li li just like composes on the fly with all of his brass instruments and shit and then uh one guy who was just a sound designer and not a composer and they were all supposed to just uh they were supposed to, they, they had one hour to to compose music for this clip essentially and they were given randomly drawn prompts of what the premise was. And so one of them was given like Mario shopping at the farmer's market. And one of them was given like, Mar I think it was like a Mario like Rocky training montage or something. And yeah. uh, one of them was Mario's divorce, I think. <laughs> yeah, Mario <laughs> Mario going through his divorce. And then the, the sound designer was given Mario's uh, diarrhea or constipation or something. Constipation, yeah. And it was just <laughs> like, oh... Okay, and uh, it was less. So of, they it spun a wheel that had all these options yeah. for each person, and that's just what everybody. There were on. a ton that didn't get picked. Like my favorite one that I really wanted to get picked was Mario contracts malaria. I really <laughs> would have loved to hear that theme. <laughs> it's a me, Far Cry Two. The uh, <laughs> check out my fire propagation. 
I the it was completely it was, it was so it was both not a remix of the actual theme itself. So the songs did not really resemble the one dash one theme, and it was all pre-recorded, which is the only way it could have ever reasonably happened. But it was just yep. like that was the re- series of surprises as he came in of like, oh, this is what's happening here. So they had like pre-recorded the thing. And so they had like so like weeks ago, they had this this moment where the, all these people are panicking and trying to compose this thing on the fly in their editing software uh, over the course of an hour. And the host was like cutting in and calling them on Discord and like checking in like, how are you going so far? Like every 15 minutes or so. And you just hearing these people just kind of like panic as they create music sin essentially uh and then we and and at the panel are hearing them react to these little moments checking in so like as they cycle through them all uh in the recordings then they cycle through the, the real people that are right there in person and it was just they were just very funny people but most yeah. cursed of all was the was the the sound <laughs> designer who uh was prepared for this in some ways and not in others. He wasn't ready to create music, but he had created music uh, in that he, uh, at some point in the past, had horrible diarrhea, and as a sound person that's ready to collect Foley or whatever, he set up an entire array of different microphones in his bathroom so that he could record it. And so he had... Just an astonishing homebrew library of his own homebrew. And it was just an (laughs) actual fucking nightmare to listen to. And so they, what they did is they went back and just in that one, in that one dash one clip, they just refolied the entire game's audio of just every single like jump and impact and item pickup and so on and shell bounce and coin with this variety of caca cacophony sounds and oh no <laughs> that's just <laughs> it was just, just the crazy. disbelief faced by hundreds of people <laughs> and the, yeah. the wildest thing about this is that this was the sound designer of hyper light drifter like a <laughs> game that is known for its sound design and, and it was live streamed, so other sound designers were popping up on their like Apple watches and and reacting to what they they had done. One of them was like, "What have you done? What have you created?" It was it was quite the ride. It was yeah. These people were extremely time. prepared to to as a counterweight to the other panelists we had seen in that there was, room. Um, Another member on the panel was Insane in the Rain Music, who is known on YouTube for making like jazz arrangements of uh, video game music, and and he did a very good job. Like his was probably the most, the the best song of the panel that we heard. But yeah, boy, that was a very, very fun, uh, quirky panel that we went to that we ended the entire con on. That was a, that was a good ending, and then we played more. I think we then went on to play more. Uh... Pantone. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Closed That's out just the how things function for us. Well, oh. that that about covers it. Yeah, because the day after it was like when people just came to hang out at our house. Oh, the Monday. Mm-hmm. Or. Mm-hmm. Yeah, on. Uh, we played some Jackbox. The Sunday. It was Monday. Wait, Monday is Monday the last day of the panel. Yeah. Or of the thing, uh, yeah, n- n- none of us had tickets to the last day of PAX. 
Uh, so we just hung out and played Jackbox uh, at Bird's house. Mm-hmm. And nobody got COVID. And everyone got COVID. <laughs> A bunch of people got COVID, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, literally like that evening, fun. everyone's talking about having COVID. You're like, oh, well. But it mustn't. It, it couldn't have been from that Monday, though, because... No, the incubation takes at least like two days, I think. Yeah, it's just one way to ensure that everyone got COVID. Most likely is that everyone was in that room together. But uh, was it like Toaster and I had already had it recently. So, yep, it was not really a risk for us. My my mm. fourth time having COVID <laughs> I had two Oof. months ago, so I'm yeah. still immune. <laughs> Woohoo! That was very and goofy. I... The, the, my phone immediately tried to notify me to like. You, you're you're in, in contact with people who have COVID, probably, and I'm like, yeah, it's a convention. There's like thousands of people here. You really, you really sleuthed my GPS phone. <laughs> it's like this is the Sleuth? accepted, this is the accepted risk of the idea of going to a convention. Like it, it's everywhere. There's, it's it's impossible that this is a COVID-free convention. You just hope everyone's vaccinated and masked, and that it's just not going to be as big of a deal. But, like, it's somewhere in there. We even spent every evening at the tabletop place where you touch things with your hands that other people have been touching, oh, yeah. probably. Like, that's just... And I then mean, we went to the, and the arcade games and the shared video games and the other places and so on. Yeah, the packs did require everyone to be fully vaccinated and uh, to stay masked the entire time. Yeah. Yeah. As far as conventions go, especially during this era... Um, it was very, very well run in that regard. Um, mm -hmm. However, pro tip for anyone going to conventions, people who haven't gone to conventions before, if you plan on playing video games at that convention, whether it be an anime con or a gaming con or whatever, bring your own controller. <laughs> this is my one nope. tip. Do this. It is the smartest way uh, to, to manage this because it means you can swap in on stations very quickly. You don't need to worry about like the sticks not working, things not functioning. Um, even if, if you're playing a fighting game, you have your own arcade stick, you have your own buttons and stuff that you like to play with. Or, you know, if you're playing an FPS or something, whatever, bring your own gear in the, you know, big picture of everything. A controller is not too big. It's not a huge hassle to carry yeah. around and it will I mean, make you your have life an entire fight stick or yeah. the hitbox, which doesn't have a stick, thankfully. And you're like, yeah, backpack. it's my leverless. Which is probably very convenient for that because there's nothing sticking yes. out at all. But like, it makes traveling you, easier. You had to get you, you, had to, you got to share a look with the bad dragon fight stick guy and be like, <laughs> yeah, like, there was a guy that, <laughs> that had a furry game. fight stick with bad bad dragon uh, stickers all over it, which was enjoyable. But, <laughs> but yeah, as far as conventions go, like they're some of the greatest places to just like meet people to play games with, um, whether it be board games or, or you know video games or whatever. Um, and bringing your own controller is like a guaranteed way to just make that process easier um, for very little, um, you know, disadvantage. So I, I say if you're if you're interested in doing that, bring a controller. It will make your life easier. It, if I may ask, is your hitbox custom or did you? Uh, yeah. So um, the one that I brought is not custom. It is a generic uh, hitbox arcade hitbox. Um, it's a leverless fight stick, so it means that it has buttons rather than a like joystick. Mm -hmm. um, so it's like WASD controls and then my, you know, punches and kicks on one side. But I do have mm -hmm. a custom um, fight stick that I keep at home that has a lever. Um, 
Oh. When you play fighting games, you just accumulate <laughs> tons of them. Yeah. Which is the way it is. Um, but yeah, no, uh, I traveled pretty light. I just carried my my leverless because it would be easiest. I could put it in a bag on my back and didn't take up much space. I traveled light and then I traveled even lighter because I got fucking soy sauce bukkake by bird in the middle of lunch. <laughs> well, yeah, we, we went to Dim Sum, <laughs> which is a very, a very good Chinese dim sum restaurant uh, for dumplings and stuff like that. Uh, there are a few different locations around Seattle, but if you're ever there and you're looking for good uh, Chinese food, go to Doe Zone. It is a it's a great little place. I spent like the entirety of Sunday in a relatively revealing tank top because uh, Bird managed <laughs> to drop have- his dumpling directly back into his soy sauce <laughs> pan so perfectly that it just splatted. It just like it, it did the thing where you make a fist in water but by the surface and then squeeze it closed and it like rockets at somebody like out of the top of your oh, hand. Yeah. It was like but, a targeted shot. No yeah. one else got hit except <laughs> Yeah, me. just my face wow. and shirt were just covered in soy sauce. Because I, I was sitting right next to Keith. We were like, you know, not even an inch away from each other and I was totally fine. Yeah. So I, and I so was he, next to Bird and like <laughs> nothing. Yeah, so he had to carry my... Uh, he had to carry my button up in his in his bag for the rest of the day because I didn't have any I did not have a single bag or item on me. <laughs> I was going I was just going to the convention with my phone and that was it. Yeah, well, that's. I was a I, big I old I would have done the same big old coward who largely noped out of all of the actual show hall stuff because it's just this huge noisy area with hundreds of people and every single second of being there you feel like you're in people's way and you're just like stressed out and i found it interesting because mm-hmm. like toaster usually doesn't have to do well with groups and so on and like and like public stuff but we talked about the height difference which is that yeah. when i'm six feet tall all i can see is everyone all at once and toaster can't see anything yeah so he's i'm really just sure. like slipping in and out of spaces and gaps and like it's like meaningless to him that there's a crowd because he can't see the sheer number of people everywhere it's it's interesting i really like conventions i've had a long history of going to them but uh even aside from that like keith keith was talking about how scary it is to like you always think you're in the way and you're like trying to navigate because you can see everyone and and you have to be you're like constantly situationally aware um but for me I don't really do great in crowds. I have really bad social anxiety and stuff. Um, but because I'm so short, all I see is whoever's standing in front of me. Like, that's that's all I can see. So I kind of just lose myself in, like, the zen of the crowd. And I just navigate to where there is space or I don't. And it's totally fine. So that's probably why I was able to spend more time on the expo uh, yeah. hall floor than everyone else. Because... To me, I mean, I can I can't see anyone. I can't see the crowds. I can't hear anything. So I'm just kind of in my own. You can't zone. hear anything. I mean, it's just me, so loud. It's so loud yeah, for that me, it always like, kind being of in a crowd. In being in a crowd is just the noise, the constant noise of people talking. That's I was it. there for like, <laughs> like very atypical reasons. Because like I I just remember like packs like 2018 or 19 or something. I was like, yeah, I'm not going to go to that. I don't like I don't like the idea of conventions. I would never want to go to those really. But then while it was actually happening and I just saw like the roster of people that I knew that were all going to be in the same town as each other at the same time. I had such intense FOMO and regret from that that I'm like, I'm going I'm going <laughs> to PAX in the future. This is happening. So once this many people were all going to go and so on, I'm like, I'm absolutely going. But I was pretty much just there because of the other people. And I'm like, I guess we'll just go to some some panels and stuff. But I don't actually care about like the idea, the concept of merch that's sold at a at at a expo, expo is so like uninteresting to me. 
And the idea of playing the games doesn't really click because I'm like, I'm mostly just stressed out by the room. And I'm like, I can just play these games later. There's a very significant chance these people will send me this game unprompted. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'll, I can wait. It's fine. Uh, yeah. So I mostly just got in and out of those big rooms relatively quickly. I fucking side-eyed the shit out of uh, Tiny Build. And there are one oh billion Hello Neighbor cabinets and not even a slight, not even the tiniest sign of any kind about Pathologic. I'm like, Finji still reps Night in the Woods, but you guys can't even <laughs> sneeze in the direction of Pathologic anymore. I see how it fucking is. It was extraordinarily <laughs> frustrating that like they're literally Tiny Build was probably the biggest booth um, in terms of just square footage and all they were shilling was Hello Neighbor. And it's like no one was playing it. There, there was no one there. The target demographic for Hello Neighbor is children yeah. on their phones, and there were not enough children at the con to compensate uh, for that. So you just had this gigantic orange eyesore of a uh, expo hall booth um, playing a game that literally no one likes. Yeah, um, no, like <laughs> just a universally gotcha reviled game only ever that only had any success because yelling streamers gave it a spotlight for a bit. Yeah. Can you that's imagine if they only business. had like I hate that that's what brings success as opposed to like the concept of pathologic like it hurts yeah. so much. All they I, had I, to I do was so just a booth for bachelor cosplay and that's that <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that's well that's the funny thing is I last time I went to PAX was before um they went on break for the pandemic and I did play pathologic there and it was the same booth. Like it was everything except there was one tiny demo kiosk with pathologic on one side and some other tiny build game on the other and that was it i was so so bummed out by it um and that was right before pathologic 2 came out as well yeah. so tiny oh build God. let pathologic 2 die and do Absolutely. never forget it take it to take them to, to task for it because am i crazy or, that game well. or was there zero elden ring but also elden ring was everywhere like there was so not there was no from elden software thing booth. right uh so yeah there was there was no from software booth but there was an Amco Bandai booth, I believe. And at mm. the Namco Bandai booth, they were doing a scavenger hunt for Elden Ring. Um, there was a gigantic Muriel like. Um, yeah, the turtle, turtle pope, pope was on the way into the thing, place. Um, which wow. was a cool statue. You and then on the sidewalk of. outside, there was a, a health a health ball scarab. Yes, yes, there was. And there were a ton of cosplayers, too. I think some of them yeah. were at the con to be there and then some just happened to bring the cosplay or whatever and but. there was that really absurd uh computer tower that oh, was yeah. like laid over and it had the uh it had that Amazing. coiled broadsword and everything like it was an entire like diorama on top of the computer in a glass yeah case. it was like a cool custom pc built that just had like basically a, a scene that someone had built from elden ring on top of it um kind of shrouding the case which was really cool um, but pretty much every single tech demo station that was like showing off a graphics card or, or showing off like a pre-made computer company, they were all testing. They were all playing Elden Ring as the the show floor game. So hmm. that was pretty cool. Um, interesting experience. Uh, I, I forget. Did either of you guys get a chance to play mel uh, Melatonin? That was the rhythm game I played that didn't have headphones. But yes, I played Melatonin and I really liked it. Yeah, that was one that I wanted to check out. And it just there was always a huge line yep um, i played it on the first day when i was looking for everyone um trying to find where you all were um and yeah that was great i got to talk to the the creator of it melatonin is a sort of rhythm heaven-esque uh rhythm game where things will flash on the screen and then you need to respond in beat but there's no visual identifier for it. it's all actually rhythm based and 
by interacting. That's how you uh, cause the visuals to appear. So it's themed after game or not games, dreams, and it has a really cool hand drawn, hand animated art style. Um, it's a project by two people. So if you're interested in rhythm games and you like Rhythm Heaven, you should definitely check out Melatonin. Um, it was very, very cool. Uh, I also played a interesting side scrolling low high high lo-fi uh aesthetic mech beat-em-up called slave zero x um it is a sequel to a 1999 game called slave zero about from what i can gather a kind of dystopian corporate future cyberpunk kind of style where people have mechs i guess um but this side-scrolling beat-em-up it's like you know 20 years after the original came out um kind of is like a sort of sequel spin-off to it um with sort of a very similar art style from the time it's it's like 2.5d playstation 1 era fidelity graphics and stylings um but with a beat em, beat em up approach to like bayonetta and metal gear rising combat um and it was mm. very very cool so i highly suggest people look into slave zero x as well that game was very interesting I'm I'm looking at their uh, Steam page right now. It looks really cool. I don't know. Is this PS PS uh, style graphics? Because oh yeah, there's 3D stuff. But I would say yeah. that this looks this looks more like Mega Drive. Yeah. They, so their 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 actual styling that they said that they were modeling it after was like if we could release a Sega Saturn game today, mm -hmm. they wanted it to look like that. So very limited 3D elements, but there there's like 3D scrolling backgrounds and uh, otherwise it's like entirely high fidelity sprite based. And it is so cool. It was a very, very cool game. Um, really devilishly hard, um, but really smooth feeling like it. It ha captured that tone of like skill based Bayonetta gameplay, um, but also with like sort of the freeform feeling of like a, a beat em up. So I really enjoyed it. I thought it was awesome. And the music was great. I mean, if it's rhythm, it has to. It has to be. Yep. Oh, well, Melatonin is, is a rhythm game. This one's not a rhythm game. It's just. Uh, oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, uh, I was confusing it. I was also trying to figure out cool. how did, how did they do the a rhythm game on fighting? I mean, it, it's doable, obviously. But... <laughs> it is. It would be doable, but no, the rhythm game was um, that game's called Melatonin, and it's it's very much like Rhythm Heaven. That's kind of the only way to describe it, um, mm -hmm. where kind of if the beat is going like din din din, it will then have a gap, and you have to press the button in the exact timing, or else like whatever's supposed to happen won't happen. Um, mm -hmm. But that game's really cool too losing my shit a little bit i just i tracked down the the i tracked down the stall where you bought that bomber jacket oh yeah and mm -hmm. i just went through I all their items and they have a shirt that's just titled bears and it has two hairy men catching fish in their mouth and it's on their store <laughs> yeah. and it's only available it in small yeah i bought a bomber jacket from bb <laughs> why BB is it only Sama? available in small it's just all sold out it's only in griff size oh right yeah right i'll have to uh i'll <laughs> have to get that this fucking it's rated That's e great. For, it's rated e for everyone <laughs> i like that but, i mean it's yeah fish, so it's not to uh to shield that company they're called bb sama um they're a i think i think they're actually canadian i could be wrong but uh I got a little pamphlet about them when I bought uh, the bomber jacket from them, but 
really awesome uh, clothing. I bought a lot of clothes at PAX. I, whenever I go to these shows, I've been trying to like spend money on the indie booths because it's technically like mostly indie people trying to sell their stuff. So try to support them like that. And I bought a lot of merch <laughs> at PAX. I bought a lot of really fancy custom uh, tabletop dice. I bought a bunch of clothes. Heath got me a tank top uh, or a t-shirt um, that is just a raccoon with like anxiety <laughs> on a rainbow. <laughs> Um, which is just like great. The, like the the more you know style like star and rainbow um it just says anxiety with like a scared looking raccoon on it which is cool um but yeah packs as far as a merch show goes you can actually get quite uh quite a few cool pieces of merch so highly recommend uh packs as a show to buy stuff at because it is very very merch focused they yeah might have gotten i me- picked a oh i'm sorry they might have been able to sell a hyena merch to me if we could find it. There's just a game on the floor somewhere called Hyena, and its logo was an, was this like spray painted hyena face with its eyes axed out, and it was just there was just a a big like banner about it above one of the walls of the sky bridge, and that was its only presence on the entire show floor. <laughs> it was unfindable. It didn't exist. It was just there to taunt you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, anyway, what I was saying was that Bird and I bought uh, an expansion pack to the board game Sagrada from, um, while we were there. And it, it's a really fun game. It's about uh, like using different colored dice to create stained glass windows. Um, and it's usually one to four players, but... Um, this expansion pack, it, you can it includes more boards, so more people can play along, and so. Oh, that's that was, cool. That was kind of our main uh, merch purchase. Oh, I'm looking at pictures online of of the game. It looks really cool. Yeah. Yeah, the Some thing with uh, Sagrada is that the scoring system is really weird, especially if you're playing by yourself, but. Um, I feel like if you played it in a tabletop sim, it where it you know calculates the score automatically, that's not really an issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that could be really interesting. Yeah, we should look into that. We should. Honestly, all like... the board games that we played and looked at at the con were great. I it was a really great game for tabletop or con for tabletop stuff. Mm-hmm. There was also another one that we played with. Um, uh, birds like IRL friends. It, uh, I don't remember if you guys were there with us, but it was basically like a giant, uh, like a drawn picture, essentially, like kind of a Where's Waldo type of deal. And like you're supposed to try to solve mysteries because like different things on the page take place at different times. So there's like you can follow a person around on there and try to figure out like the timeline of whatever actually happened to them and stuff like it was it was neat i just i don't remember what it was called it doesn't ring a bell for me but uh that does sound really interesting uh i've been i've been really enjoying how creative some of the more recent uh like indie board games and stuff have really gotten especially mm-hmm. when it comes to uh you know making changes to the board game itself or uh having having a board game that has like a limited amount of times you can play it like i feel like a lot of games have been like that and it's been really intriguing as a result 
um especially at pax there was a really big focus this year on uh for lack of a better word just because i'm not super familiar with board games board games that are kind of like gloomhaven where you like make permanent changes to uh your loadout or like the pieces or something um that like changed the overall way you play the game so that was really neat to see yeah um generally like for a long time i wasn't super into board games just because it was kind of like oh the board games are all like kind of classic family board games like you get yeah. like monopoly life blah 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 or just like very strategic heavy like overly complicated games and twilight imperium (laughs) yeah like i just that's not fun for me you know what i mean like i don't like strategy games i don't like you know um hidden role games and stuff which is like basically what a lot of what was there yeah there were a lot of hidden role uh games in the past yeah so so curious about that twilight imperium game that they had i didn't want to let try to learn it on the fly there but Twilight Inscription, I'm so curious about the idea that they're making some kind of Twilight Imperium spinoff thing. Oh my gosh. Um, we should play Twilight Imperium. <laughs> I mean, doing it over like a tabletop simulator or something, uh, digital version, if we can find it, might be the most tenable way to play that game uh, <sighs> in terms of need of setup and stuff like that. But like tabletop simulator adds so many like barriers and finicky elements that the games take even longer somehow. We just gotta get everyone to Marty's <laughs> yeah. house for a yeah. whole day extravaganza. We can yeah. do stream this, it, it's possible. Stream it live uh <laughs> quarterly. Oh, yeah, I Marty heard you guys Rita. played a lot of board games at Marty's house. That's, we uh, did. He has a wall. <laughs> it is a good uh, time. We did spend an embarrassingly long time trying to relearn how to play board, Elden Ring games? or Elden Elder Sign. Oh, a wall! Right, right. Um, he has like yeah, a that would be great. of board games. We should talk to we should talk to Marty about like having a, a once a year summer extravaganza where we stream board <laughs> games for five days straight and just oh all God. come together. <laughs> that could be fun. Hey, uh, if if that if you don't think that sounds fun, edit that out of the podcast. <laughs> Take it out in post. <laughs> don't give I'm, anyone that hey, idea. I, I'm used to promising things that never come to fruition. That's <laughs> Look, most of the essays I've promise, talked about. If we all promise each other, then we have to follow through. Yeah, we, we have to make the, it happen. The lame leg. I mean, we can all be friends and hang out and do a thing. I don't know if Marty will set up the whole stream thing in his house, <laughs> but like, <laughs> y'all can make no, the trip. <laughs> we have to live for content, Keith. We need to farm it out. Commodify your friends. <laughs> a portion of the audience lives in horror at the idea that I will play board games and they can't see it, which yeah. happens most of the time. <laughs> Most of the time or all of the time that you play board games? Uh, I have a bunch of Twilight Imperium streams on the channel. And people know. still ask I've about them some. all the time, but it's a lot of work. Is that our new, the new Saturday game? <laughs> Twilight uh, Imperium? No. <laughs> oh, no. A lot of our friends have a pretty strict, like, two-hour time limit before they disappear. <laughs> like, that is, uh, that is a very like a specific roster of people that are up for that. I would totally be up for trying to do a Twilight Imperium thing at some point, somehow, with some set of that, people. Well, that's something you need to as do as like a special event. thing. Yeah, you you schedule it quarterly or something, and then yeah, quarterly. Yeah, what's the year? Like, because yeah. quarterly is reasonable. I because my first thought was once a month, and I'm like, that's too often. 
That's just that's yeah, actually too often. Reasonable. If once a year is is hard, how is quarter life any better? I just mean like if we're just gonna make it work. Uh, I never said that once a year was hard. I was I was saying oh. that his his idea of an of an old day multi cam <laughs> tower. Oh right. He right, talked right, about right. he talked about an old day multi cam in real life fucking board game expo in Marty's room basically that is streamed like do packs that, as opposed yeah, as opposed cool. to us playing Twilight Imperium and tabletop simulator. I love that I'm the one suggesting we host something at Marty's place. Marty, <laughs> if you're listening to this, hundred percent. You've been there once. That bit. means you have like an equal stake now. Yep. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I basically live there. I'm basically his roommate. Yeah, I've you actually never once. left. You're you're yep. you're in the closet under the stairs. Just, just, you have to be quiet <laughs> enough during this podcast that so they don't fish you out. Board game Harry Potter. Wait, Marty That's has me. a podcast? No. No. Oh. I said if he's listening to this one. Yeah, right now, I mean, <laughs> right. during this podcast. <laughs> right, I was like, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm... I misheard uh, you. Yeah, you, you just there's there's seven layers of absurdity you have to keep track of for the joke to make sense. <laughs> Sorry. But if you bad. keep up with it, I'm bullshit. Right. Point being, board games were a big hit at PAX this year. Uh, we should definitely consider playing some for people because I'm sure people would tune in. Uh, it, it could be a cool time. Yeah, more Pantone so. style, though, than Twilight Imperium. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm personally 100% up for Pantone being our Saturday game. Yeah, I think that would be a lot easier on all fronts and probably a lot more fun <laughs> mm -hmm. for all people as well. Maybe not for Marty. You don't think so? For me, I don't the, know. Marty's the one that has the wall. Yeah, the, the arc how, of a tabletop day is usually, depending on how long the day it is, basically, you sit down with a group of people and you all learn a tough, complicated points-based game like Suburbia or something. For, and you and you play that together and then afterwards whoever the fuck is still around after like that first hour or two you just kind of amalgam them together to play like dixit or code name yeah, or code name pictures or some game that takes like 30 seconds of explanation like like pantone <laughs> basically because once you've learned an entire game you're either going to pivot to something you already know how to play or you're just going to play some one of the games that like is that perfect midpoint of being like kind of a party game but also interesting enough that it, people aren't bored of it after playing it twice mm -hmm. uh but you just don't have to sit there and like drone on for half an hour to everybody about how to play it like i i, I still regularly break out labyrinth which is a childhood game of mine because it takes two seconds to learn and it, people have not gotten bored of it somehow yeah yeah that, that sort of game is 100 percent. yeah but anyway i think we're but we're pretty much Topicked out for the most part. Yep. I think this is it for today. We're uh, we we valiantly covered all of packs. Yep. It send was your a questions to see everyone. Send all your questions to dialogue choices podcast at gmail.com and we'll get to them sometimes uh, next week or something. Yeah, not today. <laughs> uh, this was our overdue and recap of a thing that happened a month ago, which we apparently remembered a lot. So it was a good weekend. Well, I was kind of cheating by looking at the schedule on my phone. Yeah. <laughs> just checking over like, oh, yeah, which panels did I go to? And it was it was an interesting trip for me because I was like, I right. It is me, adult man who is 32. I need to just like create vacations and go on them. That's how that works. Like I, after a lifetime of just kind of saying yes to things and going to stuff with people, I'm like, oh, yeah, I can like 
get a plane ticket and go somewhere. And like that was just like a an experience that I just had to sort of feel out because I never I just never had actually had to like do it and think it through and plan it and not fuck up the process. And it is stressful uh to be like if i fuck this up then i don't make it to the place that is too far away for me to drive to and then the entire trip doesn't happen uh yeah and that was very much on, that was weighing on my mind and i was much less stressed out once i got to seattle because at that point i'm just sleeping on somebody else's bed and cooking eggs and it's whatever <laughs> hey we well, gave you mints too yeah no <laughs> as a fucking joke in the chat i was like like what do you what do you guys want when you get here? And I'm like, oh, can you give me those the little pillow mints that dissolve in your mouth? And fucking a week later, I show up at the at the bed, and there's a, a box of, of of mints on the bed. <laughs> Jesus Christ, bird. As well as there should be. I expected well, nothing else. The next con that I think at least Keith and I are going to, I don't expect Colonel or Bird will be going to come this, with we'll us. To- yeah come with us actually yeah yeah meet come us to, at midwest fur fest yeah come to midwest fur <laughs> fest that goes the plane tickets are going to be much more reasonable i'm sure it was viral on twitter or trending on twitter recently because of the fact that okay, maybe, a bunch of people didn't get then. the uh they didn't get Hotel the lottery, lottery and so they're all mad yeah. and they're just like i'm canceling my trip and i'm like there are other hotels guys I don't yeah, book ahead of time. It's cheaper just, that way too. I, I, I just I don't understand the idea that you have to stay in one very specific hotel. There's like, if you're a dealer, it makes sense because you have to like deal with your physical goods that you're trying to sell. But mm-hmm. everyone else, like a lot of the other people, are just kind of being like weirdly lazy or like I don't know. Like the the actual hotels are so much more expensive than like the tickets to the actual convention. The, the convention is seventy dollars, if I remember yeah. correctly, for the entire trip. Like the entire convention, the ticket price is just that. It is yeah, entirely I was convinced I logistical. Wasn't cost. registering correctly because it's only seventy bucks for a ticket. But yeah, it was like anyway. less than one day of packs. Yeah. How many? Days That'll be the next it? con we're at. Five three? total. Five. Well, there the con no, four, itself. Actually. Yeah, the con itself is just over the weekend, but the hotels like stay open with people like hosting events basically mm-hmm. for all five days. And the hotels are half the fun. Yep. All right, that's three hours. Everyone go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> is it actually three hours on the clock? It is exactly it is three, three hours. hours right now. Yeah. We there did you go. It. We yep. got it. We got it. Did good job. We did it. Too long. See you later, everybody. Peace out. <laughs> Bye. Bye guys.